Alright, let's begin! Welcome back to Anime Savants, everyone. This week, I am Cure Finale. This week, I am Bash the Stampede. Uh-oh. Okay, and... Yeah, let's get started. Let, let's get started. What what did you watch this week? Oh, I watched Actually, you so know much. what? What you think of Blue Lock? Let's just go ahead and get into it. Yeah, Blue Lock <laughs> you is Blue Lock. not what I expected, but it's really, really fun. Okay. I think that um, all my favorite sports anime fall into two categories. They're the ones that are trying very hard to be realistic and the show is really about the emotional interactions between the team those i really get into those yeah um you know going all the way back to slam dunk right like there's not a lot of like magic in slam dunk no it's it is i mean it's unbelievable basketball yeah it's unbelievable basketball but it's not there's no you know magical powers and then there's the ones that kind of lean more into the fantasy you know the -the over-the-top fantasy of basketball and those are things like i shield 21 i would kind of put kuroko no basuke in that space and then there's others that are like not um they are technically sports anime but they are do, making you know making up some kind of sport or embellishing editing. it and stuff yeah more. like yeah. and so i don't usually like things that are in the middle i like kind of one or the other like magical power shown in battle-esque or more realistic character driven whatever so when I started watching Blue Lock, my assumption was that it would probably fall more on the the former side. Like, you know, it it was going to be about soccer. Yeah. You know, and it was going to be about World Cup class soccer. And then whatever the, the fantasy hook to make it all work, you know, because I saw some of the clips with, like, guys staring at each other or whatever. I was like, okay, we're going to do a little Kuroko no Basque shit, but, like, this will be a grounded show. Absolutely not. No. Like, after the first... No like five minutes where i was like thinking it was one thing they get to the the blue lock or at least they're not there yet they get to the the staging area yeah and when that when that dude with ego ego sorry uh smile yeah and i'm like oh we're doing some wacky danganronpa that's exactly what i oh my god (laughs) that's what we're doing first thing i was like this is danganronpa like, yeah, this is and, and it's wacky, and like it's like you know, you it, everybody is sort of over their faces and eyes are overdrawn, and it's meant to like bring you that um that that wild and weird emotion of like this is a death game, but it's like a soccer death game. Yeah. So it's like okay, I once I worked that out first ten fifteen minutes, I'm like I get it. There were a couple parts where I'm still like. I, you have to be along for the absurdity in order to like not have a problem with things. For oh, example, yeah. in episode one, where yeah. they're having the meeting of like the Japan National Football Association, and like someone raises like very reasonable points about like, oh, you know, our team is doing well because it seems like the Japanese football team exists in our reality, right? It's just a, yeah. it's just a soccer team that you know emphasizes coordination and passing over like power striking and whatever and they describe it in pretty normal terms right like yeah you know like but then you get to like the football association meeting and everyone well two people there are like over the top characters you've got like the fat dude who's like you know oh we making enough money bitch like, right he's like it's all about money <laughs> and then you've got like the 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 president of the organization who is clearly a, a soccer fanatic and is like will we, he's like japanese football will stagnate unless we do something insane and it's like well 
should 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 we be doing insane things? Is any of this legal? It's pretty stable. <laughs> yeah, and also like again legal because remember that that the punishment if you fail out of blue lock is that you'll never play for the Japanese national team, which on its face is important to make the death game aspect. Yeah. work because everyone has to feel like you, you know have a career you, exactly there's got to be some stakes that aren't death but then on the other hand it's like okay so just knowing how sports work would it make sense to take like your 300 best players in in the country in one position and then fail 299 of them what happens if the number one guy gets hurt what happens if he actually doesn't pan out? Like mm. you, you've now banned the other two nine ever play. So this seems like a very stupid situation. So, but I'm I'm with you. I'm with the show. The show is dumb. So I'm gonna be <laughs> dumb. You know, we could be dumb together because I love yeah. me some dumb shit. So then, uh, I don't want to summarize the whole two episodes, but they you we find out at the end of episode two, obviously that they've got to play together. Each of the groups of eleven yeah. have to play together as a team, which again. I'm with because it's awesome and ridiculous, but they point out like you can't make a football team, soccer We're team, all strikers. Uh, all strikers, and it's obvious that like it's gonna be a shit show. Yeah, and then but then you look at the people that they brought in; those people are built like all the different positions. So it's like technically in the world of the game, this like you know six foot eleven dude is a striker. He's a striker, but like if he was playing actual soccer, that guy's built like a goalie, you know. He's built, he's built like a center. So anyway, I'm like looking at it. I'm like, I buy all the dumb shit. I love dumb shit when everyone is 100% committed to it. Like the production team is committed oh, to yeah. it. The writers are committed to it. The voice actors are committed to it. I know that the manga is out there floating around. And I think I've just seen the cover of it before. I just always assumed uh, it was like night in the backfield. There's like a very straight up soccer story. Yeah. So I never looked into it. But I love the art style. And I yeah, love what they're trying art, to pull off here. 8-Bit is doing a really good fucking job. It's so what did so you think about it as well? Because I know you probably... I mean, I maybe had more Bachida idea is my favorite. Bachida Megadu. My uh-huh. nigga. My nigga. Just like chaos incarnate. I love it. And I was waiting in the second episode for him to just basically be like, I I kind of helped you, but I'm out, I'm out for your ass, my nigga. But mm-hmm. he wasn't. He was just like, no, nah, you, you're just like me. Like, you're crazy. I see it. I know. Mm-hmm. Like crazy, crazy, no crazy. So I'm just, I'm, I'm ready. I'm just, I'm ready for them to get on the field and chaos just to like explode. And I loved how they threw that shit back in Kira's face so quick. Like Kira said all he, all that shit to say in the first episode, and in the mm-hmm. second episode. You're kicked out. Oh, but you, 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 you I'm the this Y'all nigga, niggas suck. You, Y'all you trash. Y'all trash. Oh my God. Like losing it. The way they animated his face, I was like, oh shit. Like they're having fun. Like it looks like yeah. they're having fun with it. So you can always tell the irredeemable niggas when their face that goes, goes like, Ugh. oh my God. <laughs> but I loved it. I mean, it's just, it is like over the top, but I love that over the top aspect of it because the moment that Isagi was like, I'm actually going to go after the strongest motherfucker in here. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, this is some other shit then. Because what's mm-hmm. going on? And uh, Bachida Megaru, like, I really love his voice actor. The amount of times that I've been like, boom. Like, that, the boom that he says. Yeah. I've played that shit over so many times. Because it's part, like... the Those the are my goes, favorite type of characters and VAs. Yeah. Because it's just like... um. 
wild restrained wild energy they're kind of childlike but then all, all often those characters are like very observant yes. you know they're like the ones that like they can see everything that's going on but very animalistic i'm i'm down for that so i like that um, so i'm just i'm just excited for more especially because maybe i'm not cuz i'm not that big of a sports anime watcher i've attempted to watch several and i've never finished the majority mm-hmm. of them but this is along my Lane, and I'm not even saying because all oh, these ninjas have superpowers. I don't really care about superpowers. I care about the spectacle. There's a spectacle going on that I'm like, I'm dialed in. I'm yeah. dialed in. So I'm glad it's you absurd. Like it. It's it's absurd. Um, it's also like the concept is like up here and weird, but the core of the show is like ideological. You know, you've got Ego, who's got his idea of, like, what soccer is supposed to be. He presents mm. all these arguments about what makes, a, you know, an ace, a killer player, a world champion, right? And th- none of what he said, even though it's in the context of, like, a very silly idea, none of it's, like, really different than things you hear in sports orthodoxy anywhere else. That there's, there's, oh. just like, there's this, like, special killer instinct that, like, the best players all have. And you ever hear people talk about, oh, you know, who who's better, Michael Jordan, Kobe? But then when you get down to it, they're often described in their mindset in the same way. So because they've attached it to this whole um, uh, idea about needing to change the sport and everything else, you can kind of, as a non- fan as someone who may not necessarily be into sports itself you can vibe with that concept of like overturning the the natural order and then once you start placing your characters into that pathway it does become a very traditional like shonen sort of uh battle thing only this the good thing about it is that as they grow and succeed it's like either proving or disproving this idea because remember in episode one we find out that you know the the main characters i forget his name but like he initially yeah he initially wants to reject what ego is saying and so all of him the the bit where he gets the ball finally or is is he's he's given the ball is him fighting against that particular ideology only to realize that deep down inside he's not exactly on board but his version is if push comes to shove if i have to fight for my life I don't want to take the easy way out. I want to prove myself that I'm better than the best. And it's that mentality that wakes up the beast or whatever it is that is inside yeah. of him. And I wonder if like that's the this show's equivalent to um man, what was it in Kuroko no Basuke? Was it like the zone, right? Oh, when the characters yeah, yeah, yeah. go into the zone, which I which they animated great cuz they've got like this like uh, CGI flames and everything else co- coming off them. Obviously in real life that's not happening. But the idea that, A, that's how it's going to be presented in the show, B, that there are characters that we've already met who can kind of notice this in other people means that we're, they're just going to take this shit and just run it, you know, over the top, make it crazy. Um, it's still ridiculous, but I don't care. Because I think I mentioned last week, um, uh, what is it, Ninja Itoki or whatever, like... Yeah, Shinobi Itoki. Yeah. yeah. Like that, like, that's another example of, like, an absolutely silly silly absurd concept situation but, yeah but they managed to like couple it with a couple other interesting ideas i'm like i'll go with you on the dumb stuff as long as we arrive at a place where it's like oh that's cool you know and i feel stronger with blue lock because blue lock is trying to get me to a 10 
That's what they want to get me to. Every episode. Like, yeah, yeah, Shinobi Toki is not trying to get me to attend. There may be some things that are cool, but that's not the purpose of the show. It's to, like, hype me into the stratosphere where next week, I can't wait to find out what that nigga gonna do. Like, that's not the... They're, they're trying different things. So, I enjoyed that one a lot. What did you think about the, any, like, the music or anything else? Um, the music, I, well, I really like the fucking opening song. It's Eunice Square Garden, and we talked yeah. about them last two weeks with, like, Bump of Chicken. So, I've been playing that on repeat. Um, Apple Music is shit because they don't have it on Apple Music yet, so I can't just, like, run it into the ground, which is probably a mm-hmm. good thing. But, um, really, really enjoy the opening piece. Uh, the music as a whole, as far as, like, the show itself, it's not really standing out to me, especially when compared to, like, Eminence and Shadow. Like, holy shit. But... It's, I mean, it's not like, it's like bad. It's kind of just like, you know, it's on the back burner or maybe it's so good at doing its job of like doing the hype shit that I'm not even noticing it. So it could be that also. Cool. So yeah, I think it's something that, um, you know, every season kind of needs a couple of shows that are going to peak themselves like purposefully. So you have something, oh, look how crazy this was. Like that, I could see Blue Lock kind of slotting into that viewing for me um whereas there are others that i'm watching that may be more story driven or whatever um you but you mentioned eminence and shadow might as well transition there because that's another show i think kind of falls into that category i'll i'll let you lead off this one here's just a question is this episode two where you thought things were going (laughs) no this i mean i'm actually like i was kind of dumbfounded throughout the episode Mm -hmm. because i was like this is like pure weeb shit. Like, this is like a weeb's wet dream. Like, this is what we're watching. Why? Yes. But also, it was I was entertained. I was yes. entertained with it. The fact that I think it's like an overall like the comedic the way that things come together com- comedy wise is actually kind of genius. But at the same time, I'm kind of just like I can't believe I'm watching this shit. Like, yes. I did not. Wh- how did we get here from that first episode? Like, what? 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 It went into, um, it almost gave me vibes of, um, reincarnated as the mob. Mm-hmm. Like, it gave me those kind of vibes. And I was like, why am I getting vibes of that show? But, like, this is clearly another level. And then you have the absolutely excessive gore. Like, <laughs> absolutely. I'm... But I have to say, I enjoyed the ever-loving shit out of it. From the gore to him making up the shit about the cult of Diablos. <laughs> and then being and it right. Being real. <laughs> and it being real. Like, all, like, everything. The fact that the sister has a superiority complex over him. And yeah. he's just out here killing the bandits that fucked her up. Like, it's not, like... And then, on top of that, the action sequences are actually really entertaining to watch. Yep. Like, they're simple. Well, some of them are simple. Some of them are, like, wild as fuck. But... It, it gets the point across. This nigga's OP. He knows he's yeah. OP. And his sister's not actually stupid because she, she's literally learning from him even though she's like, oh, he sucks. But well, how are you learning from him if he sucks? Like, clearly he's doing something to her as a plan for something else for this. Um, I think the one thing that kind of just kind of like got pushed to the back burner was all the other girls joining. Yeah. But... That'll probably be expounded upon like later in the season. I, I have guesses about this, and I'm sure that people who have read the light novel are more familiar. Yeah. Um, but we'll talk about that, I think, more when we talk about the pacing of the, the first two episodes and kind of 
where that left off. I would agree with you. So first of all, for we where we went from like uh, episode one, we spent ninety percent of episode one on Earth. Yeah. In a story that basically didn't matter, <laughs> except to establish that he wants to be Batman, and he just hates that he was born in a world with no magic. And you were actually super right last week. He's insane. Yeah, he's out of his mind. He's fucking insane. He's actually crazy. Yeah. But but in episode two, we get what I think is is the pattern that I see in a lot of places and that generate shows and stories I like, which is... It, this series is obviously a like a grab bag of concepts from other popular light novels, whether it's aesthetically or conceptually. But it it sometimes when when that ha- or a lot of the times when that happens, the pieces don't fit together, right? You'll look at something like, oh, you took that one from a Gundam show. Oh, you took that one from some other isekai that came out. Oh, you took that one from and it like it doesn't all fit like yeah, you know. Um, but in this case, we get Overlord. In fact story structure wise we actually have overlord because what is the why do we care about what happens with this character it's not because he's a particularly like likable guy it's not because he has goals that are somehow you know laudable or anything he doesn't really know anything about the world that he's in all the stuff that he wants to do is based on his cost his literal cosplay of a character he's created inside of his own head we w- we're going to watch this show because we want to see him be accidentally right about a bunch of shit and then have everyone misunderstand how you know how great he is. There's no mm-hmm. tension about that ever being uncovered because we because honestly if that if that were true this show would be trying to do deeper things than its subject matter would ever support like you know if if all the girls didn't believe in him anymore and then he was like have to realize that he can't keep playing No 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 fuck yeah. all that. Throw that away. The no. audience for this show is not going to accept the Chidibio fantasy being labeled as a fantasy. So the only real way you can, like, talk about that is through comedy. And so the comedy of this show is, here's a world that's horrifying with crazy powers where you can be yeah. mulched by, by like, something that looks like a five-year-old girl dropping out of the ceiling on you. Right, you, you can get be turned into a, into a fucking pile of flesh. Yes, you can be kidnapped. You could be, you know, fed to demons. You could all sort of shit. Bad things can happen, and the power scaling is like through the roof. So, like a regular ass person just gets sliced and diced, like those bandits did, did in episode two. They just got completely annihilated. Right. So you have that on one side, but then you've got like the delusional fantasies of the main character on the other side, which for some reason keep turning out to be true. Everything he, but, but he even knows, it's not like he's like, yes, I did foresee this and I am a G. No, no, no. He's aware that this shit is kind of spiraling in directions that he has no control over, but everything he makes up to cover for, you know, his deceptions, which frankly in episode two aren't even really all that good, right? Like he was going fucking around with his superpowers and ran across like a, a, a pile of flesh that he was just fucking with. It wasn't. Remember the, the when he gets. He didn't the, have the, any sentience. Or yeah, he was like, I'm, I'm just testing out my powers on this thing. Like I'm fucking around with it, and then managed to turn it back, and it was like a hot girl, and he's like, uh, 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 there's demons, and uh, you're one of the chosen people, and uh, right, and then they frame the creation of his organization as an accident that this girl that he rescued took him so seriously. That she started, she turned out she was pretty good at yes. organization building and scouting. And so she went and found all these people. And now he's got all woman army. And he's here to kick ass. 
It's that's fun. That that's yeah. stupid. That's like the depths of stupidity. Because even the main character is a dummy. But that's why people like Overlord, right? Isn't that the conceit? Is that Ein Sama is actually very dedicated to his cosplay, but also doesn't really understand what's going, what's going on. on. Yeah, and has the power to back. Yeah, to like. Yeah, mm. like Ein's isn't stupid. Because he can plan in the context of the things that he wants, but he also doesn't know anything. He's ignorant, not dumb. So a lot of times things work out and his subordinates and the people around him just assume that it's because he's a genius that these things are happening and that, you know, whatever. Or they're just misunderstanding the stuff he's telling them and they are all very capable. So things, so that's that's the same formula that was working in Overlord, they've just taken like us like the top ten percent of that and just transplanted it onto this story. Where now the payoff for him, you know, doing uh making silly sorts of um made up stories in his head is that he gets drawn deeper and deeper into a very real situation that's in this world and then you get your fights and your magic and the waifus running around with floppy tits and cutting people to pieces and blowing shit up and yeah. him actually doing heroic things and Add that to the animation. Which Him looks getting good. lost in the dungeon and then actually being in the perfect place. Yep, right. Like, He's like, "Oh shit! Oh, yeah." Like, came out there, like, oh, whatever. But then owning that dude, right? Oh my and then, god! Then that part, and then the fact that you have the aesthetic, which is very Lelouch, very Code Geass, Black Knights, which was a cool thing to again lift about the top 10 percent of and just like stick it on top of this story so now we're gonna have to have a time skip because he's gonna be older he has to be 15 yeah right and i think and we'll find out soon that the girls all leaving is an x is like a storyline thing where now we're gonna meet each one individually oh because and they come back to him or that he leaves because he has to get older too remember they said when yeah. he turned like 15 whatever so he's when he gets older right now yeah right so when he gets older he leaves and goes out into the world he'll go from place to place and each girl will have sort of started you know setting up against whatever this organization is in the place that he goes to that's him reacquiring the harem and we'll learn about each one and then we'll get to some point maybe there's a big bad or i don't know i don't know i don't have many joins together right yeah so you so you get the scene from episode the end of episode one where they're all together and they could do that quickly you know you get that done six episodes or you could stretch it out over the the core and you don't they don't need to do much else like i usually complain about there being no villain and right now there is no villain but but i feel like going into the show it was very obvious that like he's just there ain't no villain he's just gonna do what the fuck he wants to do and this this episode made it that much more apparent yes he's just he's literally just fucking around literally yeah. it's a playground for his chunibio fantasies about being the <sighs> the dark lord protecting the world from the shadows <laughs> thought, oh i tried this new skill on you oh i'm gonna have to get yeah. i'm gonna have to get a little bit serious with my sword right ah! right right okay. oh it, it's again Give me. I was entertained. I'm not. Me I'm not too. making fun of it. I'm not making fun of it. I was entertained. It's fucking dumb, but everyone is. Everyone involved is trying their hardest to to lean into the stupidity, right? And it's and there's comedy there, but it's not like omnipresent. There's a lot of there's a world where there's a lot of consequences when his sister breaks both of her fucking wrists oh to try to take God. that dude out. Like. Yo. I think like the it's not even the, like the severity of the gore. It's just like the gore comes out of nowhere. Like niggas just get into it like 
immediately. Mm-hmm. When she broke the, that le- like left shit, you could see the blood splatter. Right. And then you saw like her her fucking head. I was like, where is this coming from? Like what? I, we got none of this in the first episode. It's gratuitous, like, no. right? It's it gratuitous. Is, but that and... goes along with the theme of of him, of his mm-hmm. yeah. Mindset. So we have, so we've got like magical isekai Batman and his squad is all, all woman army that is going to go out and clear out the bad guys from the underworld and do, okay. Now my only request is like, don't, don't try to make this serious. Okay. Mm-hmm. It was a nice, it was a nice balance in episode two of like, you know, over the top violence, Shinibio stuff, but then very like low to the ground earned comedy because now we understand who this character is we understand what his delusions are we also see where his blind spots are and that played itself out in a couple of really 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 like earnest but dumb scenes especially when he like threw the knife at the table to like be cool he's like i missed yeah he said shit i missed and then the next he's like there really was a thing here so it's like if you buy into that you have a great time if you don't like any element of those things or the pace that they're moving to like zoom through a lot of material i don't know if you'll if you're the type you know the yeah moral you the you out there you know what and i didn't really free. even mind the pacing <clears throat> no get I to the stuff the that's interesting yeah yeah just get to the yeah. interesting stuff yeah it got to a whole bunch of the shit and i was just like all right we're in the shit we're in the shits like when he yeah. was in them bandits i was like oh yeah we're we're moving Okay. This is the opposite of Mushoku Tensei. There's no real world building here. There's like no. mi- the bare minimum. I think of he what even like said it himself. He was like, "I can't wait to discover who's the hero and who's the final boss." Exactly. It's exactly. Like, you already know, nigga. You just you just made it up. It's you the don't think it's, it's the bare minimum of world building. But I will say this: I complained two three episodes ago about how in a lot of these isekai that we're now like you know fifty generations of it. You know, in in anime years, because you know stuff gets like recycled and copied, yeah. you know, dozens of times in like a year. So like we're we're m- like dozens of generations down the line, where like you pick up a book and they'll say this is a typical isekai where the world the 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 heroes been transported to a magical world and it builds in y- your assumptions from having read like a hundred similar things. Yeah, and they don't even fucking buy. And sometimes that irritates the shit out of me because it's lazy, but. I will give this a pass because this ain't that ain't the point. They're not trying to wow you with some amazing world. They're trying to get you right to the shit that you showed up for. Yeah. No string. Just get right to it. And they did yeah. it. So props to them. Love to see that real world part like made more useful to the story because right now it's just like we burned an episode. I felt did like I this could have been that? the first episode. Yeah. Could could we have like cut almost all the school stuff and just had him like die in the accident right after saving the girl like you see him on a roof that's where you meet the main character you do all the stuff at the warehouse saves a girl gets hit by a car immediately and dies right and then that's how maybe we cut 10 minutes and then we could have gotten the first and the sister is the cliffhanger right yes yes exactly and then we could have got right to it things like that i will quibble about but that's not me necessarily shitting on anything that's just more like now that i know the economy of style that they are mm-hmm. going for this could have been done way back when the author wrote this to just say fuck it and let's get going but you know yeah. whatever that's a it's not it's a, it's a non-criticism it's just kind of there um okay 
I'm excited for that one week to week. I mean, I am. I like. I very much so enjoyed that. Um. So then we have Spy Family, which continues. It's like B plus to A minus consistency in all things. I mean, I like how they gave that little line to Handler. Yes. About, like, oh, that was the great. Daughter. I was like, oh, what the fuck did she just say? Yes. Oh man, but it's very. It goes along with just like the whole concept where like Lloyd's motivation for becoming a spy was the mm-hmm. war, losing all his family. So of course, several of his comrades would have similar motivations to be <clears throat> like a spy and want to maintain the peace until things can be solved. No, I'm happy you brought that up because if you really think about the first three episodes, Handler has actually gotten a little miniature like focus Mm -hmm. as far as like a supporting character because she kind of opens the first episode um she's involved in almost all the stuff that lloyd is doing she gets a couple of monologues one about like the motivations to why they all do their job all the way down to like we learn more about her backstory and it and it's stuff like that that i'm i like because again spy family is a silly show but there are things within it that have to be like grounded in reality. So when you have that moment in episode three at the very end when like you know the the terrorists have been taken care of and like the dog is there and they're like, okay, well this is actually a dangerous weapon. We need to get this out of here. Yeah. And when Anya wants to keep the dog, her motivation to allow this thing she should not be I allowing burn at all. This shit to the ground. Right. Is more earned because we we're closer to that character and we can kind of believe not just that she's a, a goofball and yeah. a dummy it's that actually this is coming from like a genuine emotional place that's been informed by her history and da 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 so like i like that they low-key snuck in a little mini it's not really an arc but more information and more activity from that that character um the scene i guess when the terrorist realizes that well, he like Lloyd is in costume yeah. and he's doing all of his like, you know, amazing superhero shit. And the guy's like, <laughs> he's just buying it. Like, this is the prime minister. The prime minister is like ju- doing parkour over walls and like, you know, manages to shoot the bomb out of the dog. Like, <laughs> I thought that was again, unintentional it was intended, but it's like unintentional. Yeah. Organic comedy. Because this is a very serious situation. Everyone's taking it very seriously. But maybe you're taking it a little too seriously for what was actually happening. Yeah. Um, I like the scene that they did where all the smoke was coming up and all you could see is Lloyd's silhouette in the alleyway. Yeah, it was great. That That shit looked cool as fuck. That That was a nice shot. I also Um, liked how the rest of the episode, they quickly wrapped the shit up and they were like, back to school. Yep, <laughs> she literally didn't Anya actually just or somebody Lloyd you gotta study and Anya was like ah oh, god <laughs> fuck. I loved it. I loved the immediate just. I just love the shenanigans because I'm like this is this is what children are like. They are they are insane. Like they mm-hmm. there's no filter. <laughs> there's no oh let me think this over. This is just like I think this is gonna work. I'm about to follow this shit through. And she mm-hmm. followed it all the way through and failed at every fucking step of the way. And I'm like, this is yep. accurate. This is extremely yep. accurate. And then she goes to the fucking dog park and doesn't play with any dogs for the first part. She's just playing by herself. And I'm like, accurate. Yes. Extremely yep. fucking accurate. That's like a kid, yep. get like you give a kid a new fucking toy and they're like, I want to play with the squash. I want to play with that squash over there. That cost mm-hmm. you like $2. I want to play with mm-hmm. that shit. It's like, of course you do. Because it, it's just, it doesn't make any sense. Because of course you do. So... 
I love that. Yeah. I thought Bond's entrance into the family was very cute. Mm-hmm. I don't know why they're letting it shit in the house, though. Um, I mean, they're supposed to be crate training it, but that uh, ain't how you crate train it. Yeah, you know? I'm like, I don't... Maybe it's different in, like, other people, but I'm like... The only time that I did that for a dog is when they're, like, a puppy. So, you like, you try mm-hmm. to train them, like... They're going to go inside regardless. So it's kind of just like you try to train them on the mat and then you graduate from the mat to outside. But right. I've never seen anything like that where there's like a a tray. I'm like, I don't know. bitch, if you piss in that shit and it overflows, I'm going to lose my mind. Well, that's how I interpreted it. Maybe the Japanese people are on some other shit. I don't know. Oh. I'm not. I'm not here to say nothing about nobody. Uh, <laughs> but that's what I got out of it. Did, did you peep? Just I'm thinking more about like the whole three episodes together. When your kicked the car, what yeah. the fuck? <laughs> I mean, it's fucking insane. Yeah, I mean, she's just yeah. It's I was like little moments like that where she was like, and then the the recurring joke of her calling in the terrorists. Was like, yeah, I'm this just is a normal the same housewife. Like, yep. Yeah, <laughs> but also. I'm just. I thought she was gonna get on top of the car and like maybe like yeah, that's what punch I thought through too. the ship. She kicked right. the shit, and I was just like, I don't even know what to even think anymore. I like, don't know anything. Just girl, okay. Like I don't know what kind of training. I actually said it while I was watching. I was just like, what kind of training did she go through for this shit? Because this I don't is insane. Fucking know. This is. I crazy. saw when she did it. I was reminded of this this viral video I saw of like someone trying to do like. You know, I'm going to show you how you can do the crazy movie stunt of, like, rolling over the hood of a car. And so the guy gets his friend to drive, and it's, like, in a park. It's, like, in a parking lot. And he goes to make the jump, but he just, like, eats it. And, like, it's clearly, like, very wounded by what was going on. And uh, I think about, like, Yor just, like, casually kicking it. Now, they did put that scene together in a way where most of the guy moving the car, the terrorist, and crashing was just a result of, like him trying to avoid her at the last minute. Yeah. So it's not like she totally kicked the car. But for a second, I'm like, they're not really going to imply that Yor has, like, Hulk-level strength and is, can do this shit. I mean, maybe? Maybe. That's what they got, they got real close. Yeah. Because, I mean, we haven't gotten much information on her childhood as far as, like, her assassination training. We just know she yeah. is one, so... We, so it's interesting how... Mean... All three of them came out of it like I saved the world, right? <laughs> like all the, they they weren't communicating with each other, uh, but they all feel like they were the ones who took care of business. So I thought that was cool. And then we kind of end up. And the fact that the Lloyd stuck and... with the like, yeah, I was shitting all day. Like yes, no. <laughs> that is true. I think the the way the episode ended, you know, there was a little bit of like a mini plan around use the dog to get closer to. Uh, the dude's son, it, it failed. But then, like, their relationship is also cute because he's like, you know, he doesn't want her to feel bad. He doesn't want her to feel bad, but his friends are fucking dicks. So they're yeah. just like, yeah, fuck her. Yeah. But they all react to her when she's being cute, though. I did notice that this episode also. Yeah. I also like how um how Homegirl was like, oh, you're done with your starlight on your face, finally. Like, I'm tired of that shit. I, lo- I love it where you, it's just it's a really good cast of characters like just like every single person has like such a defined personality and the moment she got back to school I was like all right where your homegirl at I know she about to say some sideways shit right like right. I know she is so but is also dog- she fucked up she fucked up the mission because 
Homegirl was like, oh, we can play together with our dogs. I was like, that's an end right there. And she was like, where's Damien? Oh, yeah, he, she just got the fuck out of here. As soon as she got validation that that would work, she's like, all right, I'm going to go try it. What was the name of the, of the other girl's dog? It was some horrible name. Oh, my God. I fucking forgot. It was, I just remember, I'm like, God, I don't let children name dogs. Because it was like, a, I think we remember from the pic, pictures we've seen, it's like a little, um, it's a little wiener dog. Yeah. So. Anyway. I forgot. I didn't even catch this. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, okay. as usual, enjoyable. Yeah. yeah, I think it always is in that B plus A minus range, and it goes up when there's a very emotional family thing that happens, and it kind of settles into its high tier groove in every other case. So, I I've lumped this these three episodes in at, with the same level of quality as like the last two episodes from the prior season, yeah. the ones that took place at the aquarium. They kind of they're a little self contained to some degree. They're kind of off the story path, but we got a new character, so that's kind of the the balance of it um okay i guess the next thing to chat about is bleach bleach doing its thing i don't know if we every week we since it's such a popular show i don't know if like we need to like recap anything but just that uh, but I, there are people who don't know what the hell is going on which i'm surprised y'all have stuck around this long because we done spoiled damn near every fucking thing i i know <laughs> so huh so my thoughts are not necessarily about the episode. You can you can dive into what you thought about the episode. I just have one like overriding annoyance, and it's nobody's fault. Okay, the opening song is really good. Okay, yeah. it's opening song really really good. It is. Why is uh, Rapport, which was the what we thought was the ending, only the ending for that little special montage from episode one? Oh, probably to just like swoon everybody with nostalgia. That song is more evocative of Bleach and what Bleach is than any of the music that they've produced. And they've had, like, low-key, they're doing a lot of orchestral music, like, well, in this, and it's good. We have three more chords, so who's to say that it's not going to come back, maybe even during the final fucking scene or some shit like that, like... It's... They, they have places to use it, but I, I understand where you're going. I don't think... I don't think it's good enough to be an OP. Or no, you know what? Not that it's not good enough. I don't think that it's um, upbeat and evocative enough to be a shonen opening. So I I tested this by, in the second episode, I just let the, I just muted the regular opening and played this song, Rapport, behind the opening. Yeah. Just to see. And with a couple of exceptions, because there's a lot of, um, uh, in the in the current Bleach opening, there's a lot of like uh, spotlight on each groups of captains mm-hmm. that runs a little on the long side. It's almost beat for beat a better fit for really? what they want to put in the opening. There's like is a little in place. You know, I feel like somebody probably made an AMV on YouTube already. There. Yeah, like I would I would edit it a little bit different if I was trying to match this. But like even so, I really strongly feel like um, Rapport by Katani is like a much more. Uh, What's the right word? It's a better... I like the motif that it provides than I do the current opening that the they've motif, got. The motif, like the the main melody, or just Yeah, like... so like the okay. motif of the the um, guitar piece 
Okay, yeah. The, you get the first riff, and then it and then it goes into that whining guitar right yeah. in the very beginning. I think that like that motif fits where Bleach is as a series because mm. it's a very kind of like. Um, it's rocking, but it's kind of mature. It's a little bit melancholy. It's got like a the whining sound of the guitar um, with the heavy bass is something that I can imagine an episode ending in a standoff, and then they hit that motif, and then like you go to your your ending credits. Yeah. Like like hard cut to the ending credits, and it would smack. Like that shit would fucking smack so hard. But that's not the direction they went. I'm not well, a big fan of maybe the, of the it'll ending come song, through so. at like high high moments and like mini arc endings or whatever. Who knows? I think I don't think we're ever going to hear that song again because it was only used for that uh, montage. The montage, the previous... yeah. And it, and to be fair, one of the things I said was this song is very evocative of the old Bleach. Very so evocative. Then, yeah, maybe you're right. I mean, it, I don't know. it feels like a completely different show, though, to be honest. It does yeah. feel like a completely fucking different show. Yeah. In a good yeah. way. Yeah. So I'm I'm just annoyed, not in like a, I'm mad at the people who made this for making this creative choice, but just that my now I want something that can't be. So it's my problem. It's not their problem. <laughs> that's that's a me issue. Well, that's what Obi, well, that's what the video editors are for. Pop that shit right. up there and basically be like, "You niggas are missing out. You should have done this." Speaking of, that's what the video editors are for. Um, I, 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 we have to find some time to talk about this because I think I mentioned it once ages ago. But some hero did two things. They took the Dragon Ball Z Kai Blu-ray release and replaced all of the original music. With the Bruce Falconer soundtrack, you 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 God among mankind. I don't know if you're a man or a woman, but like, thank you for this. Thank you. This is the way to watch Dragon Ball is with that Bruce Falconer track. I don't give a fuck what anybody says. That's just my opinion. That's how I grew up. That shit is fucking fire. And the second thing is that somebody else who I think was working with them on that uh, re-edit took that same soundtrack and has started to, to re- uh, retrack Dragon Ball Super with the Bruce Walker. Oh! If you want, go, anyone who has time, go look up uh, any of, like, the big iconic moments, whether it's, like, the the uh, surfing Kamehameha wave or Goku versus Jiren. There's all kinds of clips from that effort to re... to re... Uh, uh, retrack Super. Oh, my God. Oh! It's 10,000 times better. Oh, my God. So, that's the thing. Well, you know they're not going to... They probably copyright and striking that shit as we speak. Oh, fuck yeah. What are you kidding me? You have to go... To, to, to get the other one, you have to, like, have the... Oh, what is it? You have to, like, have a very specific um, Blu-ray, Blu-ray rip, and then you have to apply the audio yourself through a tool. Oh, yeah. But I, but I fucking did it, and it's amazing. It's amazing. That's all I got to say about that. Mm. Uh, but yes, Bleach. So what were your thoughts about episode two and kind of what the direction we're going? Um, As far as direction-wise, I feel like it is a completely different show. Um, Just because I think, like, even with the scene transitions, they're so intentional. The scene where they were doing the, um, the immolation, the, like, the mm-hmm. burning of the mm-hmm. body for the vice captain, 
And then the homeboy goes, all right, started. And then it swaps into like the burner turning on and they're like in mm-hmm. Ichigo's house again. That was good. And, I like that. Edit. And that I was, was like, this is not, we would have never gotten anything like this in the original Bleach. Like that is, that shows me that there is care going into it. Like that one scene right there. I was just like, wow, I, I'm kind of taken back because I, I would expect to see this and you know, um, like, oof, what even, like Mushoku Tensei. I would expect to see a scene, a transition like that in Mushoku Tensei. Bleach? Bleach? I would not expect that. And so for them to do that in the second episode, just along with the quality, and I said it last week about like everything is just has more like a darker tinge. Yeah, it fits it perfectly. Like Cueco Mundo was so bright when we mm-hmm. saw it. In the um in the original like Arankar art, and now it's dark, dreary. That shit dark as fuck. It's dark. It's dreary. You only have that blue fucking light. Um, or and and also I like how they make that like you know shine on the characters. And even so, just everything is better. Everything is better. Which I'm I feel like I'm saying that as though like I'm so shocked, but I'm actually just I'm just very pleased that they're following through. Now this is episode two, so I they have time. But I also think that because it's episode two and because there are four arcs and they're spreading this shit out, I really do think that we're going to get like actual fucking quality nonstop the Mm -hmm. whole time. And the fact that during the opening, it says created and supervised by Tite Kubo. And I was like, I know that's fucking right. Let these niggas know that this is not going to be the same fucking ride. And it's not. Okay. Right. I, I'm just enjoying it. I'm enjoying it. Now, if you were to ask me, oh, is there anything in this episode that didn't happen in the manga? I can't tell you because I don't fucking remember. I yeah, I've, I've looked at some, like, recap uh, material where people kind of go over, um, you know, things that were left out that kind of jog my memory a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's not much. It's more like, so I'll give you an example. In the first episode, when we meet the other two Shinigami who are assigned to Karakura Town, there's a conversation that they have with each other, which is basically describing that, like, oh, there have been more hollows that have been moving around, blah, blah, blah. They're kind of giving you the explanation as to why they're there. In the manga, this conversation occurs, but it's not between the two of them. It's between the girl and then, like, the Shinigami with the afro, right? And it's while they're still in Soul Society before they go over those two have that conversation and then when you know they transition to karakura town um they sort of introduce the the guy with the three little dots or whatever the other the other shinigami but like they kind of get out to go patrol so like there are things like that where okay what did we lose we got the same information we did in the anime get a like two second glimpse of like the other shinigami because he kind of he's the one who like pushes him through the gate and then he's like peace out so he's still there um but we've now cut down we've gone from two scenes to one scene yeah so like that's an example in like episode one of like that happening and you know how they animate some other stuff in the fights and other thing you know you're like adding more establishing shots things that you have to have in order to tell a visual story but like would not be in the manga because you know you have panels and you a limited number and you kind of got to be economic mm-hmm. 
So those are like, I'm guessing, and I have not done the same research for episode two, I'm guessing it's kind of the same deal where they're like conversing. I definitely remember the, sh- the scene when all of them are in uh, Ichigo's room yeah. and Oryu kind of gets cut off um, before he During can actually... Morning. Yeah, before he said, I think they're Quincy. Like, that actually happened in the manga. I remember being irritated in the manga because I'm like, that wouldn't happen in real life. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, the other nigga would show up and he'd be like, I'm also their Quincy's. Like, it wouldn't... <laughs> you know what I mean? He wouldn't just like shut up and then leave. But anyway, they kept that. Suspending uh, disbelief. Right. Um, one thing I do want to point out, you you mentioned that like it's just a different like show, not just like vibe check, but um, the way it's animated, the way it's scored, the way it's edited, the way it's directed. Uh, one big example of this, which is such a minor thing, but you'll notice it when you watch it, is that when they're in Ichigo's home, there are very few flat shots. If you ever go back and watch like the original Bleach, whenever they're in his room, his bedroom, oh, his like house, in a fate. hallway, yeah, there's only three shots you ever see. It's each someone in the foreground and someone on the bed looking out the window. It's somebody on the floor looking back at his desk while somebody sits on the bed. And somebody coming through a window to talk to people who are inside the house. But they're always flat. Like... You know, you have, like, the camera is literally, like, dead set in the middle of the room, and it's just pointed in a different direction. If you watch this production, they spend a lot of, like, time in the first, I don't know, seven, eight minutes having that conversation in Ichigo's room. There's, like, one shot that's at a flat angle. It's when Uryu's on the ground. And, like, everyone's, they're all sitting on the ground, but the camera's on Uryu, um, and, uh, uh... Or he may... Or he may sitting in the chair. Yeah. And so they're they're shooting it at a low level, but it's like flat on Uryu's face. Everything else is from like a uh, an angle, like a like a real mm. camera angle that you would yeah. see in a movie, like up through quarter view, looking down. Yeah. yeah. And and the way the faces and everything else are animated, there's so much more detail and shadow. And in fact, they play with shadow. Ichigo's face um, looks so good. Yes, there's that, that scene, again, another angle that they would, wouldn't would normally do, where he, it's at night, it's after the they've they've all chatted, and the, the, the scene basically transitions to the same kind of flat shot that you normally would get in, in like a typical episode of the old production, but then they fade cut to a, a dynamic angle of him looking over his shoulder out the window at night, like contemplative, just thinking, and there's all the shadow on his face... And he's sort of like, you know, it's really communicating more in that space, which is what I think the extra money lets you do. You're packing a lot more information, you know, into some of these uh, very simple, very basic kind of moments in the show. Even when they're all in the room, because it's in the evening, and when they do that three-quarter shot, half of the people on the ground are, like, in shadow. And in particular, like, Uryu is in shadow. And it's like, the, the you know... Would they have spent the time or money to really do that prior? Probably not, because it doesn't really, you know, get you all that much. But there's just so much more to this production that it does actually make looking at the individual scenes more valuable and more interesting if you're trying to learn something. So I enjoy that shit. I also forgot how ruthless that nigga was, like out the jump. You watch where he's just like, yeah, get your yeah. Phone. I, I really forgot about that. I, I know how crazy it gets, like, later on where, it, like, everybody's fighting, but, like, I, I forgot about that <laughs> very quickly. I hear one-shotting people. But are they um, not, are they his people? Like, okay. I mean, no, they're disposable. Yeah, yeah they're disposable, but, yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, but his logic, I mean, it's like a bad guy moment of kind of like kicking the puppy a little bit, but those are also people I don't give a fuck about. So yeah, go ahead. Turn him into a fine mist. It doesn't fucking matter. Um, as far as like storyline developments, this is sort of, we, we, we're power scaling the um, Wandenreich forces. So, you know, there was a nice little fight between Halle Bell's... Um, lieutenants yeah lieutenants i don't know where they would rank like power wise but like you know it was cool because dudes it is a scene where a lot of people are getting killed and so they kind of let you know from jump like if it wasn't clear in episode one like the body counts for this uh are absurd um and then nell is back i like nell i just think it's unfortunate that we can't get like her hot adult version but like once in a blue moon yeah. yeah, Hallie Bell's also my was is my favorite uh, Aronkar who survived. Wait, is so, she the one that has like she's not the shark one, is she? She's the shark one. She's yeah. the shark one. Okay. Yeah, I mean you can't all hail Queen Underboob, man. Like they had her strung up and you know. And there's a reason why they took her. I mean, what are you gonna? What am I supposed to say? Uh, I'm not mad at fan service and. You know, it gives you a little bit. I mean, Orihime clearly had like uh, some some special surgery in the off time. Cause in ten years, yeah, in the ten years that we haven't seen her, something happened, girl. It's the Oda inflation. It's like the longer you a female <gasps> character lives this universe, the bigger her boobs get. Okay, but that time skip though was so fucking insane. Like, <laughs> like oh my god, like that nigga was like, I was like, this nigga been fiending <laughs> to do this shit to Nami and fucking Nico. Hell like, he yeah, fiending. and you you know you know why too because or you knew it was covered because in all like the uh, special covers that he would do, she her boobs were getting bigger and bigger yes. before she went through this shit. Yes. So he like, was just like he was like doing this. He was just like, yeah. Two years? <laughs> you you don't see them? New powers? New everything. Oh. Right. Boobs going up. Yeah, everybody. Everybody gets a boob job in the time skip, let me tell you. Um, so maybe maybe Kubo was having the same feeling. I just don't I don't quite remember them being that humongous, but maybe I'm just They weren't that big. They <laughs> right. weren't that big. And we actually haven't even seen her like move, like moving. Move. No. So I'm kind of like, interested her to see how they're gonna animate that shit. Yeah, I was looking at this shit. I was like, I see. It. I'm looking. I'm like, oh yeah, Halle Bell. I love me some Halle Bell. Oh, look at them titties. Like that's they were huge. Um. So yeah, that was a, a you know, it's a lot of fun. One one good thing, you know, everyone complained when this uh, arc was running in the in shonen jump that is like oh the pacing is really extreme like a lot of shit goes down there's yeah. a lot of like well for better or worse i think it's that's in the adaptation as well i just hope that like well, also you know, that fits like <clears throat> this generation of anime people's just like attention spans or just like everyone's attention spans like it I needs agree. to move rapidly because niggas if you don't if you don't keep nigga if you don't get actually it used to be 30 seconds you get niggas in ten seconds, it's over. That's kind of wild, but you're right. Yeah, that, <laughs> like that, that is what it build. is. If you don't, what's McCall like? There's a um, there's even like this thing where it says if you don't do a new frame in your like YouTube video every ten seconds, if there's not like something, if there's not like just like a change or just like a a juxtaposition every Crazy. ten seconds, people are gonna get bored. They're gonna get bored, and it's true. It's true. It's just crazy. But yeah, I can see why like 
the the rapid pace it fits more with anime of this time than it did like in 2012 and shit like that it's wet because if this had come out in 2012 niggas would have been like whoa yeah there's a lot of shit happening yeah they would they literally would have been bitching they're basically like oh they're just trying to rush it because they just want bleach to be done they just want to get it the fuck over right but it fits in today perfectly so yeah yeah i can see that yeah so you know we're recording this before um chainsaw man comes out so mm-hmm. we'll hold on hold on that bit um were there other things that, that you watched this week that you know maybe we're not both following but you know deserve a mention um uh, let's see let's see because also mob hasn't dropped either so let's use your other <clears throat> yeah, I didn't. I didn't watch episode two of Mob. I'm gonna watch that soon-ish and get into that. Yeah, no chainsaw. Oh, what the fuck? I can't believe I even forgot that when I told you earlier. So I didn't watch something that was this current season, but I caught up to My Hero Academia season five. I watched all of it um, on Saturday, Sunday. I I know life did. I know life did. Like I li- damn. I randomly was just like, I'm just gonna watch like a random episode, and I was like. All right, let's just get this shit out the way. So I know life did. Really, 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 really fucking enjoyed the Endeavor family drama. Like, wow. I was, I didn't, I actually didn't even see them even attempting to explore Mm -hmm. like family dynamics in a way. Like, I knew that they were just like, Oh, his kids hate him. Oh no, he's going through it. He's like, he's he actually realizes how shitty of a human being is. But that scene where the son, where right after the son got kidnapped, mm-hmm. and he was talking to him on the street, and the son was like, "I'm not nice like Totoro, like um, like Shoto. I'm right. not nice. Like Shoto's nice. I'm not nice." And I was like, "Oh shit!" Like that's actually some shit that like real people would say to basically be like. Just because everyone else is forgiving you doesn't mean that I will. Right. Like, that doesn't mean that you're obligated to my forgiveness just because they are my siblings and, like, you think that we think the same or that we're of the same thought thought process. Like, I'm not nice, which, Mm -hmm. of course, that gets swept under the rug, like, right afterwards where they're just like, you wouldn't be even entertaining this stuff. Or, like, basically, Deku was just like, you're all preparing yourselves to forgive him. Which mm-hmm. is also not bad either because <clears throat> right. you still have to like, you know, process your emotions. You can't just basically be like, okay, it's in the past. We're just going to, it's like, no, everyone processes those emotions in a different way. And I thought they did a really good job with that. And then it goes into my villain academia and I'm like, yo, what is this shit? I have, I don't think I've ever seen it get that bloody. It was crazy. <laughs> Like and yeah. I, that was one of the reasons why I was like I'm I'm finishing this shit. I was like I'm not going to bed. I'm, I don't give a fuck. It was so interesting. Even, like in the uh, oh my god, homeboy's backstory sent me. I spiraled. Which one is it? Twice is it? Uh, no, not twice. Um, fuck. What's his name? The leader of the villain. Leader. Of the, uh, fuck. Yeah, yeah. Um, Shimura. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, my God. But that's the thing, though. They did such a... I, I thought they did such a good job with his um with his origin episode where 
the dad kept punishing him and he would be it, like in his mind he was like why is no one helping me like <clears throat> grandmother's right. grandmother's helping me grandfather and i'm thinking but wait isn't he the grandkid yep. of the previous like um all might's like predecessor yeah. for like all for one for all and yep. then they tie that shit together. The dad fucking hates heroes because that was his fucking mom. And the mom basically abandoned him, but she couldn't tell him why he abandoned him. And then all this shit fucking spirals. That nigga manifests. The dog is in a puddle that was of wild. blood. In the mug, I was like, oh shit. That's how it did. I mean, I felt like that was going to happen, but still. But no, was... I think that it, it was even crazier to me because every, every time I've seen it so far is when he does it to people... They just, it's all just like, they just disappear. They're just dust. Right. But it wasn't complete when he was a kid. So he no. basically was like partially dissolving them. And then they're just guts. We're just yes. everywhere. I was like, yo, what the fuck is going on? What is this? So then we do that. And then even to the part where the mom was getting broken apart and she still went towards him. And I was like, oh, this is some bullshit. Oh my God. And the whole time in his head, he's just thinking, why didn't you help me? None of you all helped me. Like you let him beat me. Like you let, I'm just, yeah, mm -hmm. I can't. It's it's one of those situations where I'm just like, I can't, re it's almost like I'm simultaneously sympathizing with him, even though I know that this is fucking like horrible. Like it's just, it just, it sucks for everybody. And that's what made <laughs> it so fucking interesting and good. Where I was just like, damn, like I didn't think my hero academia was, was gonna go this far. Like, I mean, the airy stuff was one thing with like the Yakuza's and shit like that and like, you know, child torture. But, okay, let's just plop on abuse. Let's plop on low, you know, I mean, Endeavor beating the wife and all kind of shit like that and Todoroki <clears throat> stuff. Yeah. Completely understandable. But I'm just actually surprised that those arcs from way, way early on have become what they are. And I'm just, wow, I kind of actually wish I had actually like kept watching it while it was fucking airing. It probably would have been a whole complete... Actually, it probably was a completely different experience and that's probably why people were bitching about it because they were expecting like action, action, this, this. And it was way more... It's the, like the second half after the class A, class B thing, it was way more just character work. Like a lot of character work. So yeah, it, it was great. I mean, I guess my one gripe is that they spent a little bit too long on them training with Endeavor because mm -hmm. I was like you guys didn't really show any fucking progress until like five episodes in so I was like I don't care like of course I knew you were gonna you all are fucking smart you're gonna figure it out like I didn't need this to be dragged along all these episodes I enjoyed all for one all the all for one like world building like the doctor like all this shit um Gigantomachia the the League of Villains versus the Meta, all of that stuff was just completely. I did not expect that. I didn't expect we were gonna get literally like a shonen arc for the villains and their power ups. Mm -hmm. It was so I cool when that bitch used Ochako's fucking power. I was yeah. like, oh, that's a problem. Yeah, that's a problem, right there. That's a problem. <sighs> Can you like? That's what she could possibly. Do. That's a problem. Yeah. It's a problem. So, so one I of very the, much so enjoyed it. So like this is like a very and I can't speak I don't listen, I don't engage with anime fandoms because it's nothing but 
Misery and toxicity. Oh, I hear the My Hero Academia fandom is. Yeah. They're like they're like the barbs. They're like yeah. rabid. Um, it's just it's too much. However, if you do engage at all, one of the things you find out really quickly is that that three mini or short arc stretch where you go from the Class B tournament to the Endeavor uh, family drama mm-hmm. to the My Villain Academia arc is a very divisive cut point for a lot of people oh, who really? are into my hero there are some people who feel like that stretch is the weakest part of the story and you know if you dropped it or you're someone who was like eh, i'm kind of mid on the whole series a lot of them kind of point to that area somewhere in that zone of where their <clears throat> interest may have turned a little bit or dropped or whatever the feeling is then there's other people who think that especially the my villain academia arc is one of the best things they've ever you know, experienced. That's and what so I heard that, a lot about the my so villain arc. A, yeah, so it's sort of so the narrative, whether it's true or not, is that you know the I don't want to make it do like these comparisons that are not necessarily fair, but it's like you know when people go through One Piece and say, "Hey, this is a part you can skip," right? Oh, right. So it it's it kind of has that reputation, this space. As being a okay. divisive one for people who think... Well, that's always oh, bad. Especially with yeah. One Piece. Because yeah. Oda yeah. brings all them niggas back. Yeah, so... But I'm just... I say all that to mean that when I was reading it, I was like, okay, it's just a story. That's what the story is. I wasn't sitting there, like, waiting for them to get back to anything. I kind of just took it as it as it came. Yeah. Um. Then, conversely, the unilateral sort of singular obsession is that the war arc that we're on right now is the best part of my hero academia oh it's the best because it's just straight up shown well right i mean there's a lot of payoff to a lot of um storylines and other elements oh okay and whatever and i'm not debating whether it is the best or it's not i can tell you it's not my favorite i think it's good i think there's a lot of really cool shit in there but I actually enjoy the very beginning of the series. I think that's where, you know, you know, maybe up to um, overhaul and all that stuff. Mm, okay. I think that's where there was like a lot of the intrigue in my own mind around what the series could be and what it was trying to be was at its highest peak. And then as it, you know, you get towards this finishing stretch of the latter half of the of a series, and it kind of tells you what it is. It's like we're we're doing this thing. I still liked it a lot. I was still a weekly reader, um, but the intrigue was, you know, it's the, it, it's like a classic of like horror movies, right? In in monster movies, going way back, one of the principles is don't show the monster, or at least try to mm, keep the monster up. out of frame. Yeah, build. <clears throat> up. That's right. Yeah, yeah, build up the monster, keep it out of frame. Until you get the reveal at the end as to, like, what this horrifying thing is. To get that final, like, ring the last bit of, like, shock and horror and awe and everything else out of that creature or out of that experience. And then you wrap up your story, right? That's why, like, sequels to monster movies don't typically have the same... They can't have the same vibe or structure because you already know what it is. Oh, okay. You know? So this is like the, and if you ever watch the original Alien that spawned the whole franchise, you never actually see the alien clearly, like in the light, you know, right up front, almost ever in the whole movie. 
ever. Maybe you see an arm, a leg, it drops down from someplace, you see it in shadow, it's in a tunnel. Even when, like, Ripley kills it at the end, the best shot you get of it is it, it's on the, you know, chilling on the inside of the of the shuttle when she's getting away. And that moment of when she sees it, and it's, like, not trying to kill her, it's, like, sleeping. And she's just looking at it. And it's, like, that's the moment where you're, like, that's the thing that's been fucking with us for two hours in this film as the audience. And then when they had to do Aliens, which was a sequel, they didn't have the same opportunity to, like, hide Show it from it. you. Yeah. So instead, they went the other way. They said, we're gonna, it's not going to be one monster. We're going to put hundreds of aliens, and they're going to come out of every pipe and every hole, and then we're going to make a bigger alien that's even, like, ten times larger. And then they still did the same thing. You don't see the queen in, you know, in her glory until the very end of the movie, when you have that big fight at the end of the thing. So it's the same deal... I think with, um, you know, stories is that like, if you kind of hide a little bit of like what you're doing, what you have to say, what your themes are, what's the answer to some of these questions that the audience has, you hold that suspense and suspense can carry you through a lot of bad content or at least a lot of content that's like not super exciting because there's always that little dangling lure of like well we're gonna learn a little bit more about like why this character is doing or like yeah. what their powers are or like well how do they get this way or how could we possibly win like you always have that but as stories get to their conclusion a lot of that has to go away you have to shine a light on it and explain it to the audience so that it's like they can understand the finale and that's kind of what happened with me and my hero is that like i think the most compelling stuff was like the first half where deku's trying to figure out what it means to be a hero and what it, you know, and, and why, you know, the world is the way it is. And, like, what his tasks really are. And then, like, the last half is really spent mostly building up everybody else. It's building mm. up the, the villains that he's going to have to beat. It's building up his classmates. Because the story was so focused on him. On him, yeah. Right. And so when you get to the end, which is kind of where we're at, I'm not going to give anything away. But, like, some of the final clashes don't come off as epic or as Oh, amazing. wait, is it confirmed that this is the final arc? That's in the manga um, right now? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, the, this was known for like a, a long time. That this oh, was okay. But like, there's a particular character that most people who read, read the manga or are reading it knows was talked about um, over and over and over again. And that character was super cool. They kill off that character in five chapters. Like you meet that character, they do some cool stuff, and then they die. And, and they never actually meet, like, the main cast never actually meets that character after all the buildup for what it was wow. going to be. Wow! <clears throat> and I, I, when, I, when that happened... Do you it think wasn't, it's for a shock value or just... I think that Horikoshi had an idea about what he wanted to do with that character as it related to the, the story that they were telling. But at the place he was at in the manga and the writing, there was, was no way... There wasn't, I guess in his head, there wasn't really a way to have it make sense that the, that the character would meet the main cast, do what they got to do, and then get their end, the way they were going to end. And the end result is that it's, to me, one of the most disappointing moments, even though it's incredibly cool. It's an incredibly cool moment, but as an audience, we had built up in our minds oh, this is how, how would they interact? How would these characters interact? How would this change things? You know, like, because we, we've been told this that this person is out there and that they're, you know, amazing and that they can 
do anything and it's the best thing ever and it's at a very dark moment in the story so having them show up would be like really interesting and blah 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 and then it's just like nah and i felt that way about a lot of things that as this story is wrapping up that like the suspense was here the execution was still really good but like the drama of it and the possibility of it got small the place where we're at in the story is coming off of a, a kind of divisive area of the storytelling for a lot of the fans and they consider the war arc to be the best arc i like them all but i i wouldn't necessarily say this is the best one but damn if you're a miracle stan you get your you get your shit if oh the you're niggas are a, netting every weekly right now yeah if you're a hawks fan you get your shit if you're uh mm. you know there's like so many and then even on the villain side like you know there's some very emotional stuff going down very soon actually in the storyline like with the next couple of weeks people are gonna go off and then there's some big ass battles that come out later there's, there's a short time skip as well not long like we're talking like you know a couple months or something like that mm. the timeline um and overall i think it's really cool uh but one of the reasons why i'm not like going ham on the series right now is because as a reader i'm more interested in just seeing how the story wraps up you know okay like and this is not my favorite part but it is the favorite of i would think the consensus is that the war arc is the best so i just throw that out there so the folks know well i'm gonna start covering the war arc um weekly from here that's on great. out yeah so, that's great well we can check in on that you know see how it evolves it definitely it doesn't need to be a weekly thing because it's, no. it's shown in i mean <laughs> niggas are fighting surprise <laughs> Surprise, uh, when surprise. we get when we get around to some of the stuff with Hawks, I would love to dive into that because that that okay. is my, my favorite part of the war arc and kind of oh, the man. I think it's also the real the last real time that Horikoshi put so his foot good. down on like a ideology around heroing and what it means and inside the story and I think it's a really in, oh. this is a very interesting very interesting dichotomy that he pulls up um, through that the stuff that's going to happen so I really like that part as well. Oh man! Okay, now you got me excited and shit. It should like, be, should be, should be. I got, I got some. Oh wow. Okay. Um, but yeah, that that was like the big thing that I watched this week. I'm, I'm literally just waiting for those Netflix shows to come out. Um, <laughs> what's McCall it? Wait, what is the other one? The Manwa. What's the Manwa? Oh, one? is lookism? that like November? Yeah, lookism. Is that in November? Yeah, it's not. Okay. For a little bit. No, I thought it was like November fourth. Or something. Yeah, so like it's more than two weeks. Why do I feel like we're already done with October? Because okay. <laughs> it feels that way. It feels like it's so bad. It okay. definitely feels that way. Oh, wow. 2022 is fuck out of here. Um, did you watch anything else? Or um, you, I know I, you probably done read something for your recommendation. Oh, Jesus, fuck. Uh, <laughs> I actually don't. You know, the wild thing is I don't actually have much of a recommendation this week. I did catch up what? on um, Golden Kamui Season 4. Ooh. You know the first three episodes. I just I put Golden Comedy in this character, this uh, this category of shows that I feel like everybody should watch, but I know that nobody's gonna watch. Like mm. it is a show that has something for everyone. If you want like um, great animation, great music, great you know uh, fans are yeah, everything is like pro- well produced. You know, not this ain't no cheap cheap ass fucking show. It's there. You want a story that's like deep and emotional, has a variety of characters. You know, it's there. You want to learn something about like Japan and Japanese culture, including the parts that like don't get 
uh a lot of mainstream attention you got it you want unique scenarios and settings you got it you want like you know food porn you got it if you want uh uh like an intersectional inclusive cast with lots and lots of lgbtq over and undertones you got it you want like high action like bloody like uh uh, high quality fights sword fights gunfights war you got it you you know like i go down the list of like the only thing it doesn't really have is like supernatural um powers and abilities and even to that extent there are some characters that should would only be able to do the things that they do in the story if there was some kind of supernatural force out there it's not part of the the story but when you see the shit that happens or doesn't happen you're like huh huh interesting um so you got you got all that stuff and it's funny and it's emotional i mean it's great. I think what puts people off is that it's presented as a period piece. And so yeah. because of that label, whether it's, I mean, it's true, it is a period piece, but it's no more of a period piece than, you know, plenty of other shows that did quite well. And then, and again, like, you know, it's just very well produced. So season four actually looks a little bit better. I mean, if you compare them side by side, the first episode of season four and the first episode of season one, you could definitely tell that there's a more little money. bit more money and, you know, whatever else. Also, you know, I'm a sucker for stories that are essentially like parent-child facsimile stories. Mm-hmm. And that's like kind of exactly what it is, like from the beginning. Um, and there's a mystery and blah, blah, blah. I could talk my ass off about it. So I, I did catch up on it. If I say it's still good... Or you know, good to great. I I don't know if that would surprise anybody, but I also don't know what pitch to make to anybody to who just like into it. yeah, like what would I tell you that you wouldn't already know about like why you should be watching this particular series four cores in if you weren't into the idea on when it first released. I mean, I really uh, liked the first few episodes. I just didn't come back to it. I just gotta I just gotta get back. Ooh, maybe that'll be a yeah. I mean, um, like if you watch up to like the like the fight with the bear or something and you're not, and that doesn't excite you. If like what you're seeing is not cool. If the emotions and the storytelling they're doing up to that, wait, which I, I, like, I think episode... ba- wait, I got to the bear part. I got to the part where they went back to her village. Okay. So like, that's where things slow down a little bit. Yeah. And then it ramps itself up from there and it kind of keeps okay. going. But you know, the form, I, I, the other thing maybe to say is that it's a very approachable series, but you wouldn't know it from its outset because it does seem like it's very story driven. It's very, um, uh, it's like a, it's serialized, but there's so many episodes that kind of stand on their own in an episodic kind of way because it ultimately, I mean, the, what's the gimmick? The gimmick is that the main characters go around collecting the, um, tattoos that are on the backs of all these criminals. So in a way it kind of gets to a monster of the week format here and there where they'll go to a new place that they have to learn about and there's a criminal with this tattoo hiding somebody somewhere there and then they have to figure out how to find that person and how to get that tattoo sometimes they have to fight them sometimes they have to negotiate with them most of these criminals are all like crazy people in some way so like does that mean they're crazy and they're criminal no um but they are weirdos and so you have a cast full of like weirdos hunting down other weirdos you can get some really cool moments you know everybody hunting each other yada yada so i i I just i happen to like it but i don't have like a anything special to say otherwise it's still 
good. And then again, we're we're filming before um, Chainsaw. Uh, yeah, Chainsaw Mob and what was oh Eminence yeah I, on Wednesday. Yeah, em, yeah, Eminence and then Shinobi uh, uh, Shinobi Itoki, which I you know. We'll talk about. Oh that yeah, that second one has to come out. Okay, yeah. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about it next week. Um, the only thing I did watch one or two, rather two episodes of, is a Netflix anime that's called um, uh, Exception, which is really interesting. So the the setup for it's a sci-fi um, thriller, and the plot is that a group of people have been selected to go and colonize another planet. And those people are put into cryo storage on a slow ship that's going to take a hundred plus years to get to the planet that they're going to colonize. In or- but that planet is not necessarily suitable for human life. And so they come up with this system where the some set of experts, so like, you know, an expert botanist, an expert, um, you know, cryptologist, whatever, someone who has like computer skills and all sorts of other things, get scanned and digitize in a way to be sent there on a ship that's traveling through another means of travel that won't allow organic matter, living organic matter to survive. And when the ship arrives at the location, they are printed from biological material. So they're basically like a flash clone of the person who's alive, but in cryo storage on the ship that's coming. And so those five people are to man this vessel that will terraform the planet that the people are going to get to. So when we open the first episode, um, and I don't, I, the names are kind of hard to fathom, so I don't remember. But say we open with um, a woman being born out of this like uh, computer-controlled vat, fully formed. She gets all her memories put back into her brain. She's like testing her body, and then sequentially, each new person is is printed. They kind of have moments where they're like, "Man, it's so weird to be." Like, I have all my memories. I am this person, but I also know that there's another person that is that person that's on the ship. Like, like the, like that's going to be here in a hundred years. It's so, so awkward to think about that while we, you know, sit, sup and dine on this other, whatever facsimile, this, the ship they're on, it's like a facsimile of using like holograms of like the real world that they came from. And so ultimately, they keep printing everybody. They get to the fifth person who's supposed to be, um, I don't know, it's expert in, like, uh, uh, what do you call it, the, the climate management. And they need all five people to activate the system that's going to terraform this world. Yeah. But as they're printing the fifth person, there's a solar flare, and it fucks up the printer. And so instead of printing the human who's they were expecting it's like a horrible cancer-ridden bony monster that is so it's it's printed incorrectly and but it has all of the dna and the biological material of the person and possibly even the mind of that person but they have a debate about is it morally or ethically correct to euthanize that version that got printed and then use the biomaterial to correctly print that guy again. And so three of the four think that it's that not only do they have the right to do it, but they need to do it because they need all five people's biological to do material anything. To, to do anything. So it's like, 
we're, we can't possibly sacrifice all the people who are on the colony ship, including ourselves, over the ethical conundrum of whether or not we euthanize this one person who may or may not even be sentient, let alone able to wake up and move around. The botanist on the crew, who is like staunchly opposed to doing it on strong ethical considerations, is eventually convinced to like go along with it. And so the woman that we start with, she's the doctor. And so she goes in and she's like, look, I will take the responsibility of euthanizing this person. Um, and I'll even get the, the machine spun up so that we can print another version. She goes to, you know, administer the lethal euthanasia. Monster wakes up, kills her. Oh, and I then knew start, this And coming. then escapes and starts hunting the people on the ship. Now, normally oh. that would be the setup for the full story, right? Because we've, we've now dealt with, like, there's all these, like, you know, uh, philosophical challenges and blah, blah, blah. The twist on top of the twist is that there's still enough capability for the ship to reprint any one of them. So the woman who was killed is reprinted um, with the memories up to her getting murdered. And so the question I think that the series wants to deal with, because she talks about how very strange it is to know that she died... Yeah. She actually died. And also, but then the question is, was she ever really alive and did she even have a soul to begin with? Oh my God. And the last scene I left on was they were trying to basically put down the monster and they went into a uh, lower part of the ship and scrawled on the wall in the blood of what I assume is the dead and now reprinted woman were the words, help me. Which means that the monster itself is not just a you know craven beast it, there's some intelligence there that person that they were debating over whether or not it was correct to have that you know to kill it may oh actually be God. yeah this actually sounds so interesting enough that i might have to get over my little my shit oh my goodness yeah wow so it's, so it's a cool like it's how many a cool episodes concept. did you watch I watched the first, um, to the end of the first episode, and then a little bit of the second episode. That's only two um, episodes, and yeah, all that only, shit happened. Yeah, and if you, if um, anyone is interested, if you check it out, it's got a very, very unique art style. I am very picky when it comes to like CGI anime. I'm very, very picky, and there are some hand drawn elements here, but for the most part, this is a CGI show. It's gorgeous, um, absolutely gorgeous. The the set direction and character... The set direction is awesome and very sci-fi, but the character design is, what, Yoshitaka Amano? Yeah, um, Final who's Fantasy. The, yeah, who's known for uh, their work on, on Final Fantasy. The, specifically, um, you know, a lot of the old... Everything up to, was it 12? Uh, 12 and 13? They usually do, like, for the later Final Fantasy, they've been involved in just the... Um, like the, cover uh, art and stuff. The cover, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and I think they've they've done other character design since for other games, but like you could just tell, like every character yeah. in the series has this very elongated, feminine, you know. Well, not every character, Ooh, most so of them do. I'm, that makes me think of like particularly like Final Fantasy fourteen, not fourteen four. Final yes. Fantasy four. Oh yeah, at one hundred percent. You know, the, the men are, for the most part, beautiful. There's yeah. one guy who's supposed to be kind of, like, kind of portly. Like it's funny Cecil's he got, ass when he becomes a paladin. Yeah. yeah. Like, I, I thought it was funny because one of the characters is, like, you know, kind of a fat 
you know, jovial dude, but he got himself printed fat. And I'm like, bro, if I had the opportunity to like double myself, I'm gonna get that. That my 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 real nigga version gonna be hooked up. He gonna be muscular or whatever else. This guy said, I'm gonna just roll with it. So they they have a great society if they're able to just overlook shit like that but yeah the character design is very very unique and model-esque and everyone's got makeup on somehow it's just like gorgeous uh future but they deal with his style though i can definitely see like the boys you know they got a little foundation yeah absolutely absolutely and so i i this is really right up my alley because i love pure sci-fi and this is definitely in that pure sci-fi so would you say it's horror also or no suspense? i think that it, i would just call it a thriller because if you actually like in the first episode okay. like there's a there's a creature and there is definitely some like you know horror elements but they spend most of the the runtime kind of going over philosophy and then only in like the oh. second episode yeah and then you know because and then explaining who they are like the the main lady the doctor she has this video of herself that was sent to her by the her original and you could just tell like that character that person is way more um jovial and like fun and like the one that woke up is grappling with the idea that there may not even be a real person so they're kind of subdued and they're kind of more business-like and so it's there's all these little things in there that I'm like, this is a interesting. I won't say it's deep. If people like, I don't know how deep it is, but it's like playing with cool ideas that nobody else is. Yeah. You know. So. Yeah. Cool shit. I didn't even know that this shit was out. When I did it just release. Ah, uh, that's a good question. It. I think it was recently, within like the last three or four days. Like they just dumped the whole thing. Oh, well then, let me tune the fuck in. Hold on. Let, yeah. me, let me get it together. And the episodes are like close to 30 minutes, so they're a little longer than a typical TV episode. Well, shit, it sounds like we both watched... We both watched a fucking lot. Oh my god! We're at, okay, yeah, we watched a lot. We're only at this point, and <laughs> it's this long already. Okay. Um. So, is there any news... Oh, there are lots of bits and bobs. Um, I'm not even going to go into like any details. They're just here's some trailers. So we have the near automata, um, cast reveal trailer. Oh, they they had an anime got announced. I forgot about that. Yep, um, looks pretty cool. Trigun got a second trailer. I thought also thought it looked pretty cool. Um, what else? Were there any other interesting things that came out? Uh, some in, some information about you know. Um, that they're continuing the Gundam Thunderbolt manga, which is great, except for Oh my I don't... god, we didn't talk about Oh wow. Okay. Keep going. <laughs> uh well wait, do I wanna save like the the topic I wanna talk about until after the thing that you're thinking of? Um mm, I don't know. I feel like this is going to break two hours already anyway, so it doesn't even fucking matter at this point. Okay. Uh, and then, you know, we're we're all mourning the death of G4. Psych! Nobody's mourning the death of G4. What, dude, nobody watched it. I'm surprised you even brought that up. I did not even... Nobody I didn't tune into a sync. No one was watching it. Yeah. No one was watching it. I don't know, man. I don't know what they were thinking bringing that back. I don't think they marketed 
for today's audience. I think they were just like, we're just going to bring G4 back and it's going to, like, the nostalgia is going to bring, you're not Pokemon. Like, you are not, you you are who you think you are. Let's put it like that. So, yeah. Um, I guess news-wise, like, what do, what do I have? Um... Did you see, did you see, speaking of Pokemon, did you see what they did with the new gym leader? No, wait, no? There's a, there's a, there's a, um, there's a, a, they did like a virtual, like, virtual live, what did they, what do they call them bitches? I'm so sorry. Hologram or something or? The, the V, they did a VTuber. Oh. Gym leader. Really? Like she's literally like like you know like the live stream like where every, like they have the yeah, avatar yeah, yeah. shit and they're like getting paid like there's a VTuber gym leader oh in the game there's a VTuber in the game leader. but she oh, she literally is the personification of like a VTuber okay I was gonna say it's like the gimmick of the game that she looks like one thing in the stream but then you realize it's like a no so she <laughs> literally looks band. like. She literally looks like what VTubers look like to us. She just exists in the Pokemon realm. To be honest, I have to give it to them. It's a very smart marketing yeah. ploy. Because I have not seen any other like huge, huge brand outside of just like the VTuber stuff itself. Like even touch this shit. Like at all. So that was like super surprising to me. I don't watch VTubers myself. I know of the realm. So like her character, I was kind of just like, this is a lot. Okay. But I can also see what you're doing. You're you're trying to like diversify your marketing and get mm-hmm. everybody, not just the same motherfuckers that you've gotten every single time. So that happened um, in the same vein with like virtual stuff, Love Live is premiering their virtual only idols like i think in 2023 i have no idea what that's going to consist of i don't know if they're going like a hatsune miku route or something i'm paying attention to it because i love love live particularly for the music like the music the, the composers over there like the producers they know what they're doing they know how to get they know how to fucking compose a hit like period so I'm just interested in it because, you know, I like cute shit, all kind of shit like that. So they announced that recently that, like, you know, more is coming. They showed the silhouettes of all the girls. Great. Bada boom. Um, And then also, I just want to talk about, do you know what Sakamoto Days is? I've heard it bandied around for a long time. I have also, and I I know it's getting, um, I know it's getting an anime. I heard it that much. But, like, I'm seeing more and more stuff. Like, I think it's, like, going from manga to, like, it's getting a novel now. Yeah, like I think we, we discussed it briefly when we were going over the sort of state of Shonen Jump about a year ago. Yeah. And Sakamoto Days was one of the um, good performers. Not great. As yeah. As far as, like, volume sales. But this is it's back known. when... It, yeah, this is back when it was, like, maybe volume three or four was out. So it was early. Mm-hmm. Um, we're like around volume eight or nine. I'm thinking, if if my memory is right, it's an interesting. Like the concept was like a hitman. It's a hitman, yeah. Yeah, like he retired or something, and either bought a bought a convenience store or worked at a convenience store. I don't remember the, the yeah. details. I think yeah. that's the gist of it. I definitely know that that hitman part is correct. Yeah. Yeah, he's sort of an overweight middle aged guy with like gray hair and a mustache, and then he sort of runs into other. 
people from his old Hitman days coming through the store or something. Oh. So, so yeah. I mean, I saw more news about that, which I, I keep seeing things about it, and I'm just like, okay, I feel, is this going to be, like, another spy family situation where it's going to come out of nowhere and actually be, like, a fucking hit for, like, probably. I mean, nowhere. But I, I could see, I could see it having a similar vibe. Yeah. And then, uh, what else? So, the Trigun trailer got released. Yeah. What did you think of that? I did not finish the original Trigun myself. So well, I was just surprised going back that it was going to be a continuation of the story. So like so starting with that as like the base, I was I was interested just to know what they wanted to, because they had a was it Badlands Rumble, which was an, a movie from mm-hmm. many years ago, like the two thousand. It was like you know mid two thousands, and that movie's fucking fantastic. Uh, it's obviously like more traditionally. Um, it's digital animated, but it you know has a hand drawn look. So you know I like everything Trigun, and I was a avid watcher, reader, uh, finished the series, when the, the TV series. I think the characters are cool. I wasn't um, when the first trailer dropped. I was like, oh, they're doing like again a CGI, full CGI. Yeah. And to me, I'm again I'm very picky about how these things work because you don't need it's not you know when you look at like a manga or anime you tell me if you disagree but like it's such a known industry that there are directors that you might even know by name who have just a lot of projects to their resume that you can like look at it and be like okay regardless of how i feel about the story or how it all comes together this is gonna be a good production you know just based on the names and like the ip Mm-hmm. But for CGI, there are so few really, really good examples of like what I would consider palatable, um, like full 3D productions. I think it requires a whole other set of skills than what your traditional anime director needs to make it look good. And when I looked at the first trailer, there were many aspects I really liked. They did a lot to... If I looked at the budget for animation, they it put a lot looks into very the... similar to like 3D cell shaded. Yes, and they put so much into the faces. Yeah, animating and over animating faces, which I think is important because Trigun has a lot of stretch and pull mm. and like very cartoon reactions to things that are like you pair that with the more gritty, dusty world that they're in with lots of guns and like the physics are real physics. You're like okay. That's the formula. Now, how do you make that visually work in 3D? That's really hard to do. So the first trailer, I was like, okay, I'll give him give it a shot. The second trailer has some additional scenes that like give me a lot of hope, and there's other scenes in it that make me very, very, very concerned. Um, hmm. So I'm kind of I'm kind of like in the middle on it because there's a level of um, I think deliberate. Uh, low frame rate in some parts that make me worry about budget. And then I look at the character designs and I'm like, I like the updates for Vash. Yeah, I I think he looks really cool. For Wolfwood. I I like that. But then I see like individual animated segments that are not, um, they would have benefited from more like actual uh, motion capture rather than what are probably like hand animated pieces which look always look kind of junky 
Like a human body kind of sort of doesn't move that way. And it's not in a cartoon type of way. It's like in a marionette. Like I'm the scene is me, you know, like if I'm walking somewhere, my arm is kind of slightly swinging. It doesn't swing that way. Or like a hand reaching out doesn't quite reach like that. So it's stuff like that where it's like you, you have to have the, a very s- narrow set of skills that are hard to come by at the level of like a high level anime, like traditional production. And those people are rare that can really get it working. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I'm not here to talk shit about it. I just have questions. So then let's go into, uh, we forgot about Witch from Mercury. Do you want to talk about Witch from Mercury? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll do it real quick. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they, there, was, there was a lot that happened this episode. Yeah. Uh, we had um, the, the rematch between uh, Guel and, uh, and Suleta. We had the meddling from, from uh, Guel's dad. I just had a question. Maybe it's, Bitch maybe it's slap a, that nigga. Child yeah, abuse. Right? Right. So here's just my, my one question. I don't. I have no idea. What do you think the odds are that Lady Prospera is actually her mom? Mm. Because we were told... You think that two, was a fake out? We were told two very different things between episode one and episode two. And that's why I was staring very intently when Saleta was on the, on the video phone with her mother. Okay? Oh. So... So, if you recall, we were told that uh, she suffered horrible, horrible injuries. Yeah. Like, to the point where she had to wear a mask, right? And then she took off her arm, and she's like, oh, I, like, like, I have yeah. all these spare parts. Which she had the in the woman, prologue. Yes. The woman that we saw in this episode had the mask off, and we saw her face. Yeah. And there was nothing. Well, I'm thinking that it was a lie. I think that's possible as well. But I'm thinking they... that she's lying because, like, the arm is plausible because she had that from the mm-hmm. prologue. I'm thinking the face stuff is a, or I bought into the face stuff being a lie, and that the yes. face is completely fucking fine. It's just the arm, but the arm was there before they betrayed them in the first place. So Yeah, so here's my confusion, and this is why I'm kind of... I'm just curious if this is... What part of this was a fake-out, and, like, which part of it is not a fake-out. Okay. So, we, so we, we definitely have, like, seen her mother before, right? Yes. Her mother has the same color hair that she does, and obviously their 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 faces look very similar, right? Oh, this woman doesn't have the same color hair. No. And oh. And then the other I'm not saying that that nothing I mean that could have been. Second, when they were talking when I think it was um uh the the people in the Delit whatever, they were like what is the information that we have on Shinsei development? It is known that uh what do you call it? Like that this Prospera Mercury person and the uh, Elnora, uh, who's who's um, uh, Suleta's mom, like they know that that Elnora went to Shinsei, so because they said it in this episode, so it's not like that's hidden. Even though it seemed like she was like in hiding, yeah. afterwards, but they just let Prospera Mercury walk in afterwards, and like didn't they say that, that is her mother? Well, maybe, what's gonna call it? They did say that, no, that wouldn't make sense. Because I'm thinking about, like, the lesbian plot line. 
But then yeah. uh, it wouldn't make sense for Saleta to be so weirded out by Miurine being like, you're my fiance, if her mom remarried to another woman on Mercury. So that would That's make sense. very, very possible. Yeah, I like that. But my understanding, and, and I went and I, I looked it up just to like try to understand what was going on. So like, let's assume that they're the same person. So they go to Mercury, the, they change their name, something like that, um, in order to like get around being hunted we don't know kind of what happened in the in the interim i'm just not clear as to why she would change her appearance in that way if the if the connection through saletta would be as strong as it is i don't know like i maybe this is just a case of like they they changed their identity the people on earth don't know who she is and remember in, that, in, the, in this episode as well they said that when they were looking into like whether um uh ariel is a gundam or not they do identify that the person who helped build and test one of the gundams did in fact join shinsei development that's kind of like part of the reason why they were so suspicious but then they say oh well they don't have enough money to like have built a full-on gundam so you know that whatever because is ariel is ariel ariel is the gundam that they flew off in i would imagine and lafrith is the one that the dad died in Again, this is what I think is true. Okay. Yeah. That, that this is that's my belief. I could have missed something, or maybe I just don't get it. But either way, um, I just would like to know: was it a lie when she said that she was so horribly injured that she had to wear a mask? If it's just a straight up deception in order to get over on um, uh, Delit and also sever their relationship with like the Vonidus Institute, if that's yeah. all it is. I'm cool. I got I got no no problems, no issue whatsoever. If there's more to it, because it seems like the character she's playing with the the company people yeah. versus like her talking to her daughter are two totally different people. Um, and that may be necessary in order for whatever plan she has to like work out. I'm still cool with it, but I just I I just want to be clear that I was confused. Mm. When I you saw it what? the first time. Maybe some yeah. fucked up shit actually did happen to the point where... See, now you got me theorycrafting in my head where, like, maybe her mom died, like, got did get fucked up in Mercury. Mm-hmm. And uh, she was like, can you please, like, be her mother in my steed or some shit mm-hmm. like that. And then, like, blah, blah. I mean, it, it's so early. I, I don't... But you are absolutely correct to be suspicious because I didn't even catch that. Like at all, yeah. that didn't even pro- that didn't even cross my mind. I was too focused on Guel, yeah, <laughs> and this fuck shit. Um, cause what's gonna call it? It was like um, what's gonna call it? Gundam Utena, and now mm-hmm. it's like Suleta's Otome. Like yeah. she's she's collecting, she's collecting the yeah. motherfuckers. Which yeah, I'm not mad about it because when niggas start dying, it's gonna make it even crazier. So. And oh man, someone someone said they were like that that speech that she keeps giving niggas about if you if you leave you you get one if you stay you get two. Mm-hmm. Someone was like someone gonna stay and get two and get killed very quickly. That's a really I hope so. I hope that like they explore the pain that that ideology can bring yes. in Gundam in Gundam fashion. I think that because it's a, I liked how in this episode it was framed. Someone's going to say that shit back to Suleta right before they die. 
Exactly. I like how it was framed around... Uh, so before, so let's do a quick juxtaposition. When we meet everybody, Suleta is this awkward outsider who doesn't have social skills and is shown to be like in some way deficient in interacting with all the people around her. They're prettier, they're smarter, they're more confident, they're whatever. It's a big wide world. And so that's her weakness is that she is this country girl who is you know has strong inexperienced but has very very strong beliefs. Fast forward to this episode, we've we flipped the dynamic because everything that was make that made Saleta kind of out to be, you know, inferior to other people, in fact, we start to learn that they're the result of things that she has that those others don't. She's got a, a mother or family that cares very deeply about her, that uh, she has a belief in herself that as much as she may be, like, timid in personal interaction, she's actually quite brave and... Yeah and uh and bold and like when when they're talking to the council the dual council and she kind of like cuts everybody down she, she cuts what? Guel down because he's like about i beat you the, the dual Go council pissed me off because i was like this could have been an email why oh, right here? yeah that 100 i was asking so many fucking questions i was like, like first of all student you let these students have this lounge and they're organizing this dumb shit you know how much trouble this has already caused how many years has this been going on this is such a waste of time like you're supposed to be in school what are you doing what are, are you doing? Lo- yeah exactly exactly yeah. i was so pissed when they were like we have to do the ceremony thing and then when that nigga was like it's been sealed I was like, oh, I'm so mad. I'm so mad. This is such a waste of time. You're totally right that this could have been an email. Yeah. This could have been an email. Someone should have posted that shit. To, like, yeah, bro. It's a cool scene, but we could have handled all this in the email, man. You could have just been like, yeah, can you just um, do the Adobe sig- e-signature and send it back? Thank you so much. I bet you said Adobe e-signature. That's it. Um, That's it. So... So I liked I liked that this episode completely turned around all of the implied relations between Suleta and everyone else. Because now, when she talks to Guel, she says twice, "I beat you. That's why I am I'm confident in myself. Because you lost, and it wasn't like you a bitch. It was just like you lost. I'm bad. What do you want me to tell you? Yeah, yeah. like you like." Whatever. And he's thinking that she's going to be on this other wavelength. But then when when the other member of the dual council was, like, goading uh, uh, Guel for being a loser and having to get a rematch through his dad, Suleta also put her in her place as well. Because she was like, you know, uh, you know, like, like, you don't get to chide somebody... And you're not willing to like step onto Put the battlefield. Put yourself out there, yeah. Yeah, like that's like this man is not a coward. She didn't say like unlike you, but like the implication was right there that that she respected him she to some degree, down. and yeah. she was like, nah. And I he may liked not... that. Yes, he. She stood up for him in that moment when she didn't have to. You know, he's he's the one being unreasonable here, and then he then he even said in the elevator like are you also going to make fun of me like all these other people do? And then that's when she hit him with the, like, the whole speech about her ideology, about how you can get something out of, you know, retreating from a conflict, but if you step up and you walk into it, you get more. So that's why oh she... Oh, my God. The more that we repeat this, the more I know they're going to fuck up. Oh, yeah, great. That's oh. exactly what a oh half-decent writer should do. Take advantage of that shit. So then we get through the whole the whole battle, 
And I like the subplot of his dad and the rest of his family caring so much more about their plans and their pride, but missing the fact that, like, he was actually willing to go out and do the work because he believes in himself as well, but nobody else believes in him, which is the the same place that Suleta found herself in in the first duel was that no one believed they know who she was she's fighting against like you know top guy you know on the blocks and she won now the roles are reversed except he doesn't get to fight in the battle because the ai takes over for everything and you know he's in the he says to his his brother you know you you wouldn't be doing this if you all actually yeah if it wasn't for the the you know our parents plans and then the father says, it doesn't fucking matter if you're any good. All that matters is the outcome. And what does he keep repeating? Which like, you all don't come back around. Right. He's like, you all in. don't believe in me. You all don't believe in me. You all don't believe in me. Even this machine that's having this fight. This is not a fight. This is some bullshit. So at the end of that battle where the machine basically fucks up and he's and he's talking to his father like, this is some ass. This is all ass. I realize that you played with the, uh, with the sprinkler system. All this other bullshit to like basically prove that you don't believe in me you don't believe i can win this fight you don't believe that like you know there's any hope in the dreams that i have well fuck you he breaks the breaks the machine ran why is the ai running off of his cell phone um, yeah like okay. whatever fine um yeah Mia Rene gets to have her little hijinks in the which you know what no i actually like that because yeah. she's not just a permanent damsel in distress she's actually doing something so I appreciated that for her to basically gonna, not be like, I'm going to stand here and scream and like be like, right. someone help us. She's like, I'm going to fix it. Hang very, out. Very goal directed. Yeah. I don't want to put it over too much because it's fine for this episode, but there's this, there is a terrible habit in all storytelling of having a supporting cast member, male or female, have nothing to do. And then the story has to create things. For them to do rather than it be like a natural uh, you know outcome of other events that are moving forward so in this case the problem that Miorine solved was created by the father and executed by the two friends of of of, of gel yeah but but i would argue that you probably could have removed all of that and still basically told the same story of like you know yeah yeah so that that I see it as a way to do that to like involve me and Rene in the in the plot. I'm not saying that this was particularly vital because if you take away the subplot of like, oh, the sprinkler's on, so she can't use her lasers, so now we've got to drag out the fight. You still could get every beat of like well getting like well, frustrated and his, breaking yeah. the AI, and then them having like a one shot samurai moment where where uh, Suleta still wins. But that piece was kind of there. I, again, I'm, I'm not saying padding out the story, but it was to add some flavor, give something else, some more peril yeah. to, to overcome and then have Mirene be able to contribute. Because in the first episode, she drove all the action, but actually didn't really do anything. She got into the machine, stole the machine, and then they had to like get her out. Like, stop. Yeah. yeah. Like, right? So I'm not all the way there on like whether she's a very active character. I liked her more when she was like trying to get to Earth because that was her very clear goal from the moment we met. Which her. it still is her goal. She's she right. still made that clear, but she's just like I'm going to do it by other means. Yes, I'm going to do it through Suleta, and I'm going to do it in a way that puts the middle finger up to my dad. Yeah. In the process, so 
again, I'm not out on her as a character at all. I'm just saying if I were to pick through the things that she did that were important to moving the plot forward in this episode, you probably could have actually removed everything with her and it would be the same general episode. That doesn't necessarily mean that in the future, all the stuff that she's been up to now won't play into some other development. I'm not, I'm not going mm. that far. I, I, I still like her as a character. Um, but yeah, as you point out, then it ends. Um, Gel gets control, goes for his like one final shot. Which he did a good job. Yeah, I, like, he, he actually did some work with a more even playing field in, with the machines. They clearly showed that he was a competent pilot. Yeah, and they set the other thing that's like subtext is they set up this fight so that his character wouldn't be buried, right? Because he doesn't mm. actually participate in ninety percent. Because he could have been just the villain of the week and been the exactly. Gun. This was yeah. to protect. This is like you know. I love me some pro wrestling. So this is a, what they call a protected finish Whoa. where like some shenanigans happen. So like say a guy you don't want to beat, uh, you don't want to make him look weak. So you, maybe someone runs in with a chair and hits him in the back or maybe like some screwy thing happens with the finish of the fight so that you can always say that like, if this had been a straight up contest, we still don't know who would have won. So the oh. fact that the so the fact that Soleta fought an AI for ninety percent of the fight and who and had already defeated it, so the the machine was damaged. You could argue that there's still some ambiguity about who would win. So that way, when he goes off and does his other support character stuff, he's just not like a guy that Suleta beat because the first time it was a surprise, so they protected him there, and then the second time he didn't really fight. But then now they're going to be like this, so you're never going to see them. You know what apart. I mean? Like, yeah. And Which, not in the promotional material, it makes sense that he's behind Suleta reaching out as opposed to behind Miorine reaching out. Exactly. Exactly. So that, I think, was the reason for that. And I don't disagree with I don't think you should make your supporting cast look weak. I think you should always do everything you can to make them look strong. And this is a, this is a series where enemies are going to become friends in the first half. And then the second half, they're going to kill them all. Or well, gonna, well, it's not Tamino, so they're gonna they're gonna dramatically kill one or two. I mean, in, you don't know. We, listen, somebody might be like, Tamino's my hero. I will continue the legacy. Isn't he? Isn't he still working on a, a Gundam I series? Don't know. Yes, yeah, he's doing all the Hathaways Flash movies at least, and maybe okay, but no, oh, but they're not giving him an original. No Let more. me rephrase that. So he is part of the production team. Hathaways Flash movies are written by. Um, a guy who worked on, fuck, he worked on uh, 0083 Stardust Memory and a couple other series. Okay. It's not, Tamino did not write them, even though he wrote the original, he, he wrote Bell Tortica's Children, which is the book that Hathaway's yeah. Flash movies are based on. But he is part of that production committee, but he's not directing it. It's also the same guy who, who uh, wrote Unicorn. Oh. He's directing it. Yeah. Okay. Man, just go ahead and just just get just give him the reins. Just just give it to him. We need a modern. We need a modern travesty. Yeah, like Tamino's a a salty old man. Like he's just. I know. We need it. We need it. Did did I? uh, I think we talked about when I went and rewatched all of Dunbean, our battle of Dunbean, which was a series he did Mm -hmm. right before he did um, uh, Zeta. Man, oh my god, this nigga was out of his mind. Well, he was angry. Let me rephrase that. And then when I you hear all the um, stories about his relationship with Sunrise, like how rocky it was and how like spiteful the company was to him, and that he would turn around and be spiteful to the company, but it was like it was they needed each other to like get anything done. So like 
I, it recontextualizes so much shit that I went through watching like like Zeta and Double Zeta and like all the shit that he was involved in because I'm like he was just mad. That's why all these niggas are dying. Like this is him writing his like corporate you know contact into the story to kill him because he hates these motherfuckers. Uh, so yeah, I I like this episode. I will just leave it at that. But it's good, wow. and we've made a little triangle, right? They I kinda... feel like me and Rina ain't gonna even give a fuck about. Well, no, she, she don't will. give a shit. She'll she'll give a fuck, but she'll be like, "Now nah, I need her to use yeah. her." So you, you you and you and your actual love gotta get the fuck out of here. That's what I'm saying. Right. We did. We just took the ten percent slice of like Utana and just like st- put it as part of like the pack. And I'm glad about sandwich. that. The fact that like you can't even you can't even really basically be like, "Oh, Utana Gunda." It's like. It's, no, it's literally doing whatever the fuck it wants to do, which yeah. in a similar fashion, like what you were talking about with um, Eminence and Shadow, it's grabbing shit from mm-hmm. other places. Just a little bit of it, though, Just right? Because we yeah. still we still talk about marriage in this episode, but then she's kind of downplays it like, well, actually, it wouldn't happen. But one of my until... favorite parts, though, is that you can see way before he does the proposal that like she acknowledges him as like a person, yes. not as like a pawn. Yes. So that's where the proposal comes from, where she's yes. just like, oh, okay, like, okay, you say all this, and, like, her spiel in the elevator and them, like, walking yeah. in the hallway, you see a change in his eyes where he's just like, oh, like, you're the first, period. Yeah. So Yeah, no, it, it all completely made sense. You've got your little triangle now, the the, the sad little weebs who are upset because it was it was too much Yuri. It's gonna be girl power. All the all the whole cast are all women, and now they you know I don't Indians even want to missing out on some hot shit. The fucking battles are gorgeous. Yes, I need me an Aerial Gundam. I need. I've me seen the kits. The he, the high grade kits are great. Actually, they're great. I need it. And Hobby Link Japan keeps fucking retweeting people that actually have it. So I'm like, fuck y'all. I blocked you. Like, I can't. I can't do this. It looks so good. And now I want Gwell's upgraded one. Yeah. Because that shit look cool. The red one. The designs are nice. I mean, we've we've said this before, but and like, it didn't have lo- the puffy thing. I was like, I don't no, want it just shit. had like a more of like a horns. Horn. Yeah. yeah, I was like, I want. So, oh, yeah, man. Yeah. So if you're mad that the, that the, you know, the people on the spectrum got their sh- their love in the first two episodes, and you were thinking that this was just gonna, oh, this is just the Yuri Gundam. I don't need to watch this because it's all girls. No, no, no. It's just a, it's just a reverse harem. Like, don't, don't get to it. And it's something for but everybody. Multifaceted reverse harem. Yeah. Somebody, we got our, we got our, our like, uh, uh, Arab inspired character. We got like the hot model looking guy with the white hair and the earrings who's really who is going her. to join the harem definitely like it's so obvious right we got like supporter girl we got Mirine who's like engaged but she doesn't really want to get married it's all it's an, it, it, to the extent until near really... the end of this season where she actually starts feeling shit exactly like... or or what may actually happen is that they become enemies and then you just sort of have mm. that sort of like attraction but then we're well, that's another thing. to each other I, they keep talking about at the war front or some shit like that. Something. They keep talking about becoming the ace of this company, shit like that. So I'm like, there's something going on outside of the school. Like, yeah, niggas yeah, yeah. are fighting I mean, somewhere. I can imagine, like, she goes to Earth and turns out that, like, you know, her ambitions are to fight against something. 
you know i don't yeah. know I, like i would what i would like to see is more conflict so the idea of having you spending the first half of your show setting two characters up in a friendship deep friendship or you could throw a romance if you want to and then splitting them up and having them be antagonists. oh like out no zero yes and then have the, that antagonism be based on yeah. ideology because we still don't really know we know that like suleta's mom has plans for revenge or what we think is her mom. I, I mean, I'm, it is her mom. I'm just going to go with the idea that Prospero... But now you is, got me thinking, like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Let, let's just go. Prospero, you know, whatever that character is she's playing is in service to the revenge that she wants to get for having her husband die and all the bullshit that went down with Vanitas. So, assuming all that is true, it would be very interesting to start this season with, like, you have Prosper here, you have Saleta here, Mirene, they're sort of related to each other on one side. Halfway through, do your time skip. Me and Rennie goes to Earth. Maybe she agrees with Prospera's ambitions. Mm. Set them up together as, you know, maybe she takes over the Della And Suleta learns what's actually fucking going on. And now opposes that. Yeah. Because here's the thing. What's the other big theme of this series? It's re- rebellion against the wishes of your parents. Every other character that we've met so far, that we've gone in depth... Has had conflict with, with the wishes figure. with the parental figure. The only one who hasn't is Suleta. A, because we haven't met her mom, whatever. But they play it up like they have this great relationship. Oh, I man. suspect she's gonna, gonna kill the mama. Oh, I this suspect is be a that shit there's a show. that you could either go one of two ways. You could oh. have them her find out about whatever her mother's real plan is. She opposes it. Miarine sees that as the vehicle to get her real revenge that she wants on her father and on this oppressive system that's like fucked everything up and controlled her life. They pair up and now it's Suleta rebelling against her mom, but it also losing some of her friends and that's the dr- that's the drama. Or Miarine kills her mom. Therefore, oh, they cannot. Okay, be- there's so many options. Oh my god. Yeah. Oh wow. Right? See, it just gets me more excited. My mother goes for the revenge me. against her, but Mirene's dad. In the last moment, she realizes I want to protect my family. She kills the mother. Suleta sees it or witnesses or knows Ooh. about it. Get it popping. So those are all different ways that you can just move the. Same I'm so pieces. nervous for the end of this season because I know they're gonna leave us on a horrible cliffhanger. It's yeah, gonna be fucking yeah. disgusting. So but you, you know what? I'm excited that I'm excited about Gundam again. Because I, 100% I can absolutely tell you that, like, I really try. I watched the first season of Build Divers, and I literally fell asleep during the majority of the episodes. So that that can tell you that right then and there. I tried. I really did try. <laughs> Redive. I'm actually. I actually watched the first three episodes, and I was like, I can see y'all trying to do something, and I do like the concept of the main, the main characters Gundam having like different forms and shit like that. I understand mm-hmm. that, so I might go back to that. But it gives me. It does not touch what we have gotten in these three episodes of Witch from Mercury. Like, agreed. This is well, Gundam. Yeah, t- totally other level. That that's dive is some other different. stuff. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, oh given God. that we're 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 running running down the clock, wow. <laughs> I have 
One other thing to add, I don't really have a recommendation this week. It's just a comment about some of the stuff going on with the Bayonetta voice actor mm-hmm. situation. I had a much longer thought, but I think it's actually better to strike while the iron is hot, keep it short. So for those who are not familiar, um, recently, uh, Helen Taylor, um, Helena Taylor, excuse me, mm-hmm. who was the uh, known first and only for her uh, role as Bayonetta in Bayonetta 1, Bayonetta 2, and the... Bayonetta character that was added to Smash Brothers um, was in, involved in negotiations to reprise her role for Bayonetta 3 with Platinum Games. According to her, she was offered what she termed as an insulting um, bid for her services uh, as part of the negotiations. Her actual quote was in a quote immoral rate um, for her to return to that role. Then yeah, uh, $4,000. The fuck? Yeah. And then, based on that, in a statement that she made, claimed that it was that rate that caused her to not reprise that particular role. Um, so, the story has evolved multiple times in the last, like, 48 to 72 hours. And I presume oh, it'll shit. probably evolve again um, as more information is released and people sort of figure out what the official story is. Yeah. So originally the claim was she didn't come back because they offered, they lowballed her. Then it was revealed that ultimately she had been offered $15,000 to go do the role, but had turned it down. Um, and that's when the lower offer came in after some other re- revision within Platinum Games, potentially even about the amount of audio dialogue that Bayonetta was going to speak in the game, in the script for the game. Then oh. it was revealed that the original offer that she had gotten, and it's not clear exactly what that number was, because we only know the 4000 that she said and the $15,000 that later um, someone within Platinum you know, confirmed had been on the table. Don't know what order that came in. It, was, it came out that she was originally offered the SAG rate for VA work, you know, English VA work on a video Oh! Game. And that what she was asking for was actually bigger than, or it was a bigger SAG, number than the SAG oh. rate. And her reasoning for so why that she deserved the, the bigger number was because her voice was iconically connected to that character and that she had gone to acting school and worked with very prestigious people and so that's why she deserved a higher number okay wait but adjacency doesn't yeah okay okay girl then okay okay keep going keep going then it was revealed that the japanese voice actor was paid you know less than whatever the sag rate was in japan for the role and it's arguable given the actual like sales of the game that the japanese va is probably more known for their connection with the character than the english va it's worth noting here that bayonetta 2 which was the and this is all from i pulled this together so you know if you if you all have uh, other research or other things you found that you know contradict yeah put the receipts free. below yeah bayonetta 2 sold approximately a million copies and in the scheme of things a million is not bad but if you're looking at what is the scale of that to the most high selling games you know what's where are we so if bayonetta 2 sold a million copies which is great call of duty sold 21 million so we're talking about people who if they were offered the sag rate to work on a call of duty game or to work on bayonetta would essentially be paid about the same 
right? It's possible that, of course, any studio can pay more than that. But actually, I think there's some issues with paying more if you're in the union. Yeah. So, I, I don't want to get into those details. And there so, was definitely a whole thing going on with the union stuff with, like, anime voice actors recently also. Yeah, and it's all tied Psycho. together. Okay. Then... So the, so now so the place that we're at in the story is that she's you know accused him of lowballing her. They countered with we we were negotiating. We gave you the sag rate. Ultimately, she was not brought on to voice a character. The the role went to Jennifer Hale, who I know by name as an amazing voice talent. Who among other things was the uh, femship, and it, from Mass Effect, and has done yeah. so many iconic roles but i would argue that jennifer hale as a voice talent is actually just known as jennifer hale in that when she gets added to a project people are more interested because she's on it whereas uh uh helena taylor is only known for voicing bayonetta in fact if you go look at her imdb and her voice credits that's all she's known for because the last time she worked on a voice project was in 2014 for bayonetta 2 what? And everything else is a smattering of. She did a little bit of anime voices prior to that. She's done like some support voice work, you know, on some other games. But it's a very short resume, and it has a really steep drop off after 2014, where she didn't do anything else in in the video game industry. So this is not like this is a uh, uh, either a person with and a in demand, a, right? A celebrity name or a person who is so you know busy with work with bayonetta and ten thousand other things that their the lack of their inclusion or their replacement in the project would be noticeable so noticeable to fans that it would damage the product so that's a nice way of saying she wasn't essential to the completion of this particular bit of localization then you know, as fans reacted to her at her request to actually boycott the game in order to stand in solidarity I with people that. who don't get paid properly for the talents, people started doing a dive on her Twitter and social media and discovered some, let's call them interesting political views, oh. among other things. Oh, wow. Um, I did not know about this. Wait. Oh, my God. Okay. What's so, tea? So, well, I mean, she's a Trump supporter, so we can just leave it there. <gasps> But I'm not here, I'm not here to, to say that that's a reason for her to get underpaid. Just that that's the not narrative... a reason for her, but that's a reason for me to basically be like, okay, girl, okay, right. girl. So, oh. the, but that means that like when the narrative. When was that found out? I don't know. Oh my god! So the narrative around her request to boycott seemed a little sussy. As well as the fact that she didn't mention that the reason why she was offered that lower number was because that was the SAG rate per session for voice actors. And that there was a higher offer, but ultimately decided not to go with her. Okay. So now we're sort of nearing the current end. Um, Jennifer Hale released a statement basically saying that can't really talk about anything due to NDAs. Had a lot of fun, you know, or or would, I saw that statement was, on Twitter. Today. Was excited to work yeah. on the on the project and in general to just chill, right? And Hideki Kamiya kind of spazzed out. He deleted on Twitter. his fucking comment. And then yeah, he deleted yeah, his, his and then he, then he 
And then he brought it back, and then, I don't know, it's a whole thing. So, anyway, where we're at right now is, obviously, Helena Taylor is not getting her boycott off, and a lot of the uh, facts that she raised as part of her request seem to be, at the very least, a little misleading in the way that they were presented, and at the highest end may have been bullshit. Um, But I don't want to get on her, and I don't want to get on the VA thing. I just want to just make a general comment, because it does relate to the anime voice actor stuff. A lot of media, and I, I've talked to a couple of friends of mine who are, you know, in the industry and just pulled them on their thoughts with no preamble to see where they were feeling. But the thing about voice acting and the thing about entertainment in general is that typically these are really, really small fields. We're not talking about like hundreds of thousands of people, you know, even in the United States who are working here. They're tiny communities. There may be only a handful, a few thousand uh, voice actors who get regular work across say just video games or anime as a sector and in order to be a full-time working voice actor you gotta k- take a lot of gigs because these gigs do not pay very much and in particular video games and anime are probably the lowest paying type of work that you can do as a va now i use the term lowest there are people out there who might believe that because the pay is low that in and of itself is problematic and people should be paid more I'm not here to, to disagree with that. That's not, uh, you know, how much someone is paid is not my issue. My question is, if these creatives and creatives in general were paid what they were worth, because Helena asked for a living wage um, for, you know, workers like her. Let's yeah. be very clear about what that living wage would be covering. Because it for Bayonetta 2, she claims herself... That she recorded all the voice lines for that game in four, uh, I think it was four four-hour sessions. Okay. So, four times four is 16. Am I, am I wrong? Is it 16? Okay. <laughs> so, what is a living wage off of 16 hours of work? What does that mean? I think getting paid 10 grand or 12 grand, whatever the rate was for that amount of, that amount of work... That ain't bad. Sixteen hours—that's a lot of money per hour. Great, go do you. That's your—that's your uh, uh, your prorated um, salary, right? But let's just imagine—and it sounds like there was there were less voice lines in Bayonetta three. But let's just imagine, for the sake of argument, that it was the exact same situation, and she was looking to get sixteen grand for doing this voice work, and she's complaining about a living wage since this is the SAG rate for the for the effort. What do people want? her and others in the industry to be paid because i've seen people throw out there things like well bayonetta as a franchise made this many millions of dollars you know there's some made-up number whatever it is we know that they yeah. it sold a million copies but you know oh it made half a billion dollars it's so it's this valuable franchise how come the voice actors aren't getting x x percentage of that or whatever they're imagining in their minds that there's like hundreds of millions of dollars on the table for voice actors no 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 no, I the budget. That. No, the budget that pays for the voice actors is the same budget that pays to make the game, and it's paid by the developer. It's not paid by the hundreds paid by of Nintendo. other. Yeah, it's not paid by the hundreds of others who make the money on merchandise for a character. That doesn't go anywhere. That doesn't go to the developer. It's not paid for by the people who get the license deals to put that character's likeness in other products to pitch other things and advertising and everything else. That's not paid by the developer. The developer got, let's say, $25 million, $30 million, probably what Bayonetta roughly costs to make, you know, somewhere in the $30 to $50 million range. 
they got that money to produce the game okay that has to pay for everything and right away you can just lop off about maybe a quarter of that money because that's all your advertising money that you've got to pay right through the through the the publisher you got to do that you got to set that shit aside so then you gotta pay the salaries on on all the developers who are working for years. You gotta pay all of your years. licenses for all yeah. of your all of your third party like technical support, your middleware, your everything else. Oh. If you have to do engine development, blah 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 blah. The voice work or the audio is usually one of the last things that gets a cut of that budget, and they get a sip. They get like you know maybe they get like two percent, five percent, you know, of that total budget to cover every noise. Every sound, everything else. And you're talking about the voice actor for the localization, the English localization of this series is probably going to sell half of its copies, you know, in Japan. So in a, with a totally different voice crew. Okay. And now you're talking about living wages. Okay. I'm with you. We'll pay a living wage. Let's uh, quadruple her salary. Let's make sure that Helen Taylor gets, you know, a clean... $50,000 that she can have a living wage working four hours, or rather 16 hours, one time uh, in eight years. Okay? Let's do all that. Here's my question to you guys. Are you willing to pay? Are you willing to pay? Because if we scale that out, actually I can make an argument that everyone involved in game development is ridiculously underpaid. In fact, game gaming in general, that industry, wouldn't be... As profitable, record profitability, in fact. If they didn't take not have so many people. Right, exactly. If people were paid what they were actually worth, relative to the even the popularity of franchises and IPs, guess what? You mad that the game is $60, now going on $70, oh, digital? Oh, way more. Yeah, you're mad about that? Bro, I got news for you. The the you, you be paying double that. You be paying triple that for some of these games. You paid what everybody was actually worth. You're getting this amazing deal off of effectively slave labor. And y'all are very, very, very comfortable with that. You're very comfortable, okay? And the moment so, it goes higher, people are going to riot. Right. Not only they riot, they just won't buy it. People yeah. don't have that kind of money, so they're not going to pay that kind of money. So that's just my question. We could talk about, oh, well, the Nintendo should pay. The developer should pay. Guess what? The more something costs to make, the more it's going to cost you to buy it. So I'm not saying she doesn't deserve whatever she thinks she deserves. She probably does. You know, it's really popular. People like Bayonetta, fine. But then I want the second conversation to happen. Who's supposed to eat that cost? Everybody else except for that person. Yeah, right. So. Exactly. Exactly. So and the way that I see this is just that, and I think this this factors into just like a whole bunch of facets in life, is that people like to talk and they like to shout about the end solution, but there's no actual like throughput offered simultaneously. And this is from all sides. I'm not just saying from like just like this. I'm just saying just like in general. People, you say it should be this, but then how do we get there? Like, that is equally as important as just saying this. But also, that can be used in a negative manner to basically be like, oh, well, you want this, so how the fuck are you going to get it? Exactly. Okay, It goes both ways. It goes both ways, and that's what makes it just so messy. It's just gray. Yeah. So So if you want to have a pity party for creatives and think that they're underpaid, then my suggestion is just give them money. 
Just give them money because there's no other. These niggas are making millions, so right. it's more so of uh, it's more so of the company itself and changing the company culture than it actually is like the boy the boycott and all the kind of shit. Like it's more so that. Yeah, so, and here's and... a fun a fun story. So before the pandemic, voice actors. Um, were pretty clustered in a couple of places in the United States. This goes for TV, for um, film, for video games, and for anime. It's two places, okay? It was New York City, but number one was L.A., okay? Guess the reasons why. Mostly in L.A. And when the pandemic hit, a whole lot of people who were in the VA industry couldn't go into, you know, their their uh, studios, yeah. which they were used to in those two places, and frankly, a lot of those people did not live in those places. And so they started doing what everyone else did. They started building studios at home. And for in that like two and a half yeah. right, and for that two and a half years, there was a very interesting uh democratization broadening of VA work where lots of people who wouldn't have gotten a shot because they weren't around to like collect all of the offers, you know, because they were co-located where they would find out a lot about a lot of, you know, these sorts of things. Everything went digital. So it spread out around the country. Well, right before the pandemic, Crunchyroll invested a shit ton of money in building a studio, a big ass studio, brand new in Texas. Um, I think it was in Austin. I, I could be wrong if Someone tell me I'm wrong. Yeah, because Crunchyroll is based in Texas, right? Yeah, they built yeah. a brand new, a brand spanking new studio, and then pandemic kind of ended. And wouldn't you, wouldn't you be shocked to find out that all those like VA roles that have started to sort of filter out, so because people were able to work from home, they were doing everything online, so it didn't, you weren't as hurt if you say lived in Virginia and you wanted to get into, you know, the voice acting industry because you were even more evenly competing with people you know, who were at one point had an advantage on all these, these opportunities in these big areas. Well, pandemic shuts down. What happens? Crunchyroll starts exclusively hiring its VAs from the Texas area. So, Oh, wow. And the people in Texas, well, the people who weren't in Texas and in general, everybody was complaining. Cause obviously Crunchyroll does, especially now that Funimation and Crunchyroll are owned by the same company you had this situation where almost all of the localization work for anime was being exclusively, mono- and it is to this day, exclusively monopolized by um, non-union workers who were working in Texas, which is a right-to-work state, um, because they were physically co-located with the studio that was publishing most of the domestic anime. And what do the people from L.A. say? That's not fair. What do the people from New York say? That's not fair. What are the people who are, like, able to work from home and have spent $10,000 plus on in-home recording and stuff say? That's not fair. You know what the niggas in Texas said? Tough shit. Before the pandemic, we couldn't get any work because we had to live in L.A. If you live in L.A., you live in New York, you can get commercial roles. You can get movie roles. You can also the shit because it's all there. We didn't have shit. Well, now we got something. Fuck off. This whole, that's how, oh that's how it works. God. This whole situation. 
There's more to everything. I'm not saying that anyone is right or wrong here. I'm just saying that, like, if your first instinct when you hear about, oh, some poor voice actor isn't getting paid, oh, this little bit of the industry is unfair, there are reasons why. So if you want to change that, it's not about bullying, you know, some company or another to, like, change the rate on one offer that one person got so they could get their just desserts. You got to start looking deeper. You got to go, well, where is this happening? Who's who's controlling it? Where is most of the money going? What are the criteria that allow people to get roles or not? Here's a fun fact. The, uh, game and anime VAs don't get any points on the back end. They don't have any royalties at all. You're paid. You do your you do your studio session. You do your recording. That's the money you got. But the dirty secret is you can make 10 times as much money and get royalties for 15 seconds in a TV commercial spot for like one month. I was on literally a waiting for this. I was like, I have so many friends here in New York that are just like, I get a fucking commercial fucking voiceover shit. The royalties alone. Yes. You get the, actual residuals, right? Get, it's so crazy. I have I have like a family friend that did a Coca-Cola commercial 15 years ago. Yep. Money. To this yeah. day. Yes. To this day. So... I, to tie all this back into Helena Taylor and and now uh, uh, Jennifer Hale. So if you look at Helena Taylor's IMDb, this iconic voice, by the way, well, you know what you don't see? You don't see hundreds of video game roles or lots of anime voices or lots of... Sort of you see like a handful of, you know, interesting projects, Bayonetta... And then a bunch of stuff on stage, no film, no TV. If you're a working voice actor, this is your bread and butter. That's what you do for a living. You have a resume like Jennifer Hale. Jennifer Hale to this date, has, I think, had something like 600 or almost 700 voiced roles to her credit. If you look at what she does in a year, it is stacked, right? Because she's working. And this is her job. It's not just that she has a big name. You can go back 10 years. You can go back 12 years. And you can see TV, film, video game. The resume. Anime. Just boom, 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 boom. Yeah. yeah. You know, ads. Everything. Because that's how you make money as a voice actor. The way you don't make money, sadly, is that you don't get lucky, get a random role. One role, role that, and depend right, on those. And then, Right, and then you and then you somehow manage to get like other people to pay you to reprise that role six thousand times. I I get that the that's Mario extremely VA, rare. Yeah, that is so rare. That is, and and it's not even a good strategy, even if it was something that ever really paid off. You like it? It it's just it's a volume. What happens game. if they decided to fucking replace you one day? Then. Right, it's 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 a volume game. And we even saw that with the new Mario movie. People freaking out about Chris Pratt. Well, there was a nigga doing Mario for years and everything. There, there's a lot of reasons why they didn't cast him in that role. But I bet yeah. you when he looks at that fat check, he could have a thousand appearances as Mario. If he was in that movie, he would never work again. That would be a one and done. That would pay for his retirement. Because that nigga like almost 70 years old. He's like 60-something, 68. Oh, right? wow. He old as fuck. So, I, to tie that back in, what I'm getting at is... Everything's connected. Everything's connected. If you want working the 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 SAG you know guaranteed salary for a game voice actor is a living wage, but you actually have to work. If you were doing multiple <laughs> roles, that that would pay the bills. It's a thousand dollars per hour, is what it is. 
You have to. You have to work. Okay. Uh, to be very clear, a thousand dollars an hour and the word living wage means approximately oh, God, somewhere I'm between fifty-five and sixty-five thousand dollars a year. Just, just based on the last. Someone's you know what that gonna means? post a think piece in the fucking comments. You all that means is that somehow you have to figure out how to work sixty hours a year. That's that's how you get a living wage. You work sixty hours a year. Book what it. are what are we talking about? So this is what, this is just what is so this? this is so just like revealing for me because the only thing that I've seen from this situation so far was her initial statement and the post that she did today. And and then I saw the like the, the boycott bayonetta stuff. And listen, I'm listen, I'm the bad guy Chun Lee or whatever. Bitch, I'm buying Bayonetta 3. I don't give a <laughs> fuck what you I don't I'm so sorry to you, Miss Mamas. I'm buying it. I'm buying it. It's I was one of those people who played Bayonetta on PlayStation 2 and was like screaming from the rooftops, play this. Like it's not gay. It's not gay. It's not gay. She's not gay. Like it's not gay. Like it's it's, it's actually really fucking fun and hard. Like you need to fucking play this game. Bayonetta 2, no liked it. Beat it within 24 hours. Like, loved it. I'm so sorry for her situation. And I do I do agree to several extents that, like, you know, things need to change. But also, as I said earlier, so much shit is gray. So much shit is fucked up. And when people bring up, like, oh, and she even said in her statement, she was like, you know, a lot of, a lot of people put time and effort into this that don't need to suffer from the boycott. And I'm like, I agree. I agree. The corporate part is going to make the majority of the money. I agree. But also, if it's not supported, way worse can happen. Like, niggas can, yeah. fuck, like, like niggas can lose their livelihood, like, easily. So, it's, it, it's messy. It's fucking messy. But, yeah, bitch, I, I'm gay as fuck. I'm not, I'm not missing out on the Bayonetta game. You got me fucked yeah. up. I'm not. Some people were like, buy it used. I was like, I can't buy digital used. That's not possible, baby. I'm sorry. It's no, I'm getting it. But wow, yeah. this is so revealing. And then the Trump supporters part. Oh my God. It's just, it's just a silly situation. And again, Bitch, I don't how have dare you get on the internet with, rece- with, with infinite receipts? Internet be going ham. And I don't oh have, my God. I don't have I answers, right? This. Let's say she wasn't a Trump supporter and it was just like a sob story and it wasn't political, it was whatever. But if the facts are the facts, then, you know, I I expect to see people who want to make it and are struggling to be working. And if they're not working, that's fine. Again, that's, that's totally because not an issue. Because you never know their situation. They probably need to just survive in general. So they can't, like, you know, go to auditions, do this kind of shit. Yeah, like, shit, fine. Shit, shit happens. Yeah, the, there's, like, I could accept 10,000. Look at Broadway. Like, Jesus yeah, Christ. Yeah, 10,000 10, different explanations. It's totally, it's not an excuse. It, it's fine. I'm cool with that. But, what but I'm she's saying a veteran. Is and she's asking people to do something. Like, there's a call to action. But that action both doesn't really address her situation, doesn't really fix any of the problems that she's illuminating and also just hurts other people because it's not as if like in a year from now if bayonetta 3 is a flop you think this sets like a negative precedent for negotiation going forward 
I mean, may, maybe it does, but like, let's say, let's say it works. Let's say everything she's talking about that she wants to have happen works. Okay. Well, she's not getting paid again, no. so that's out. She's out. The people who put a lot, the other creatives who put a ton of time and energy into the franchise definitely don't have a job, so that's gone. The likelihood that anybody in the future is going to come and pick that up again is also gone, which means the fandom for that thing also suffers. And then at the end of the day. The real issue is that creatives have a hard time getting paid because the value of the content that they create, whether it's voice or anything else, is completely flatlined Gone down by, by all the pressures in the industry to eke out a profit in a business that actually it's very difficult to make a profit in. You know, games make a ton of money. Yeah, but it's like top loaded on big, big, big IPs. And most of that money doesn't even come from the games themselves. Doesn't go to the developers either. It's at the merchandising, marketing, licensing level. Because Master Chief's face on a 7-Eleven Slurpee cup is actually worth way more to Microsoft than selling another copy of Halo whatever. Because you can keep selling those fucking cups. Yes, that's right. Stop. It's turnover business. And then the the partner that you're working with is paying you for the for the likeness. And likewise they are reaping the benefits in the, on the ad side because you're promoting their product at the same time. This is so, so much easier. So money. like when someone goes, Bayonetta Christ. is worth half a billion dollars. Yeah, Bayonetta is worth half a billion. Not the English voice actor for Bayonetta. That's not what's worth a half a billion dollars. If this woman I almost said another word, if this woman was oh. out here you know, the face of the franchise on every fucking sippy cup, you know, in America, then I would have a very different kind of a conversation because I would think, man, her agent fucked her because she's not getting anything on the likeness rights. But guess what? She's not a likeness. She's just a voice. And she's a voice that only maybe half the audience of Bayonetta ever hears because it's mostly a Japanese game. Frustrated. Anyway, that's all I got. Well... I learned something new today. Wow. I learned something re- finding out all this information. It was like, okay. Wow. Wow. Well, you have a lot of insider insider tea. So. I got a couple of people who are willing to talk to me <laughs> for now. Um, there's a there's a very popular uh, anime that I am a humongous fan of that has released in the last couple of years that we've talked about a lot where uh, I've be- have become friends with the voice actor of the main character and i will just leave it at that so that person mm. is a very nice conduit to other people to chat with about what is going on mm. so that's so that's perspective from the inside and the outside as i've heard it i'm sure there are more people who have more nuanced takes on it i just found it fascinating the the plot of this story and the the way the internet was going ham on both sides and Hideki Kamiya deleting his shit. And Yo, I saw that. Wait, did he call people insects or some shit like yes, that? Yes, he did. That Japanese <laughs> translation, man, will fuck people. <laughs> I saw that shit. I was like, yo, this nigga calling people insects? <laughs> My nigga called, called oh, people shit. insects. But I also saw a tweet from him earlier talking about, like, um, everything can't be revealed currently about the situation and blah, 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 blah. So I was like, clearly there's an NDA on their side also. Yeah. If you so... ever hear a Japanese developer or anybody in a Japanese business make say the words X cannot be revealed, that is like straightforwardly off of their legal copy. Mm. 
like that that English translation of that, like I've heard that a thousand times. Oh my god, uh, it reminds me of the Final Fantasy fourteen documentary on YouTube where they were interviewing Yoshi P and yeah. like the PR lady was right there next to him and she was like, No, no, yes, no, yes, no. I was like, damn, like that nigga yeah. on a leash. Yeah. No, they don't fuck around because they have very different laws about uh, uh, both. So in America, if you break an NDA, you are up for civil penalties, but mm-hmm. that's based on the content of the NDA. In Japan, you're up for civil penalties, but also uh, in some cases, breaking an NDA is is like libel. And so oh. you can be you can be brought to criminal court in Japan and actually do time for but saying I... certain things. What? That's why they love them fucking message boards. Anonymity. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They love that shit. So. Wow. So that's it for me. I got nothing else this week. I spent the rest of the time digging into this uh, voice actor situation. Wow. Investigative journalism. Fuck yeah. Not really. Just very basic. (laughs) I was looking at like SAG contracts and stuff. Because I I heard different things. I heard people talking about. Investigative journalism? Well, no, I, I read different things. So, like, um, someone had uh, linked me to an art- an old article um, in the New York Times about, like, some of the uh, voice actors for big, bigger games. Um, so, like, someone had done a lot of different voices inside of Grand Theft Auto 4. And so they had been paid $100,000. And so I was seeing the $100,000, like, go around. Like, man, I, I, I don't remember it was... Uh, was it um Roman Roman the lead of of Grand Theft Auto Four, um, that oh, character? Uh, yeah, so yeah, yeah, GTA yeah. has a shit ton of voice lines, so they did like fifteen months worth of work on the game. But I didn't know that. Whoa. I just saw I just saw the the number one hundred thousand, and then it was always juxtaposed with that the game made six hundred million in the first three weeks of it, the release, and so that actor being salty about it, like that that story got sliced up and then used as evidence in people's arguments as to like why she should be paid more. But then I was like, well, that hold on, hundred thousand for fifteen months of work, what the fuck is that? So then I went and found figured out, okay, this is how many hours or roughly he said that he worked. Then I was like, think like, wait a minute. <laughs> If the sag raise a thousand dollars and then you know they offered to pay her ultimately like fifteen k, that probably means it was the same number of hours as Bayonetta two, which they probably paid her something similar, and she wanted more. But fuck this, so that's got that got me off. So I was, I ran with that. Anyway, well, 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 well. So then it, it you know what? Honestly, it sounds like the union needs to negotiate residuals better. Well, they did because in 2017 there was a voice actor strike. That okay, I don't know how the hell you're saying you didn't do investigative journalism. What the no, fuck? It's just re- it's just you reading with it. So there was a so SAG after so SAG after represents video game voice actors. They had a strike in 2017 um, that resulted in a contract that wound up raising the the base rate, which is what. Uh, Helena Taylor was claiming she was being offered, yeah. but it specifically did not add residuals. 
because that was oh. the condition that the student, which kind of makes sense because the people who would be paying for the VA work are the developers, but a lot of times the developers actually lose money on the development of the game. So if they had to, they yeah. would be the ones paying residuals, not the public. The publisher, it would make a lot more sense if they wrote that in for the publisher. But guess what? No publisher would want SAG Except after that. work. On that, on a game they're paying for, if it meant that they had permanent residuals going yeah, back, yeah, they want all that money. Yeah, there's no fucking, and they have a lot of power, and they also are not involved in the union negotiations. The union can't go to the publisher because mm. what's their what's their recourse? They're not hired by the public, or rarely, you know, are they hired by the actual publisher? So if I'm looking at it from the SAG after point of view, the union reps are like, what are the two things we care about most? Making sure that our members get jobs because companies could just go to states where it's not right to work and then fuck the sag after contract yeah just, they'll just hire non-union labor so that means that the rate can't be so high that companies would be afraid to pay um whatever they also have no stake with the publisher so if they ask for residuals like the way um film and uh tv and others do it's a totally different relationship because usually the company that's producing a movie or coming as producing a tv show is not always but very often distributing it so there's a there's cause i don't know this is a whole thing it did happen the current agreement i think expires in like 2020 20 uh, sorry it was sorry expired and then was extended in 2020 it okay i think they are on two-year terms so it, that agreement may be coming up for renegotiation. Yeah. But I don't give a fuck because that's not related to this issue at all. <laughs> go join SAG-AFTRA and then go fight with them, you know, the union to, you know, fix yeah, that you problem. you can be a union representative, girl. Go ahead and get yeah. together. That's how you um, deal with this. It's not trying to bully Platinum Games into Anime like... Anime Savants is not an anti-union. Let's, let's no! make that very clear. Super pro-union. <laughs> I love unions. It's just... That's I'm in a union, but like, come yeah. on. <laughs> Before anyway. you niggas... Somebody... Oh my God. I'm so sorry, James. <laughs> you, your DMs are going to be abysmal. I'm good. I'm so good. Oh my god. And we haven't even gotten to, to Chainsaw Man episode 2 yet. Uh, oh, but I like shit. it! I like Chainsaw Man! <laughs> okay, Stop. They're gonna get a double dose this week. Oh goodness. Okay. Um, yep. All right. Well, I don't have a recommendation because we are almost at three hours. Yeah, this so. is too much. <laughs> Too much. We're almost at three hours. I mean, I know I know several of y'all are gonna be very happy about this, but I I am going to edit it. So y'all are gonna get this shit probably Friday. Mm-hmm. Early Thursday. Maybe Friday. But that is all for this week. Yes. If you haven't already, you know, like, comment, subscribe, especially comment. Let us know what you think. Um, it helps with all of the algorithms. Um, you can slide into James's DMs if you want to, but also at him on Twitter on the regular yeah. Twitter thing. If you can say it to me a DM, just say it to me in public. Say it to we'll him nice in public because that'll draw attention from Twitter to basically be like, we should push this. There we go. Yes. So yeah, go ahead and do that. Um, we have several collaborations coming up very soon. So you know, if you're listening to this, um, I like if I fucked up and like didn't respond to you. Hit me back up. If you all want to collaborate with us, hit us up. 
we'll fucking figure something out. And uh, if you want to follow us, we are anime underscore savants on Twitter, anime regular savant or anime savants on Facebook, YouTube, where you should like and comment, Twitter. Well, I already said Twitter. Fucking no mm. way. Anchor, which includes Apple Podcasts, which you can rate us on. Google Podcasts, which you can rate us on. Podbean, which you can rate us on. And several other podcast platforms. So, like, the more ratings, the more views, the more listens, everything fucking helps. We really fucking appreciate it. And, yeah, support in all formats is appreciated. At, like, at yeah. all. We love it. We love it. Even even though I complain and moan about some of the wild things people You have don't to complain, say. you don't moan. You voice your opinion and people yeah. have different opinions and they don't like them. That that is fair. All right. That doesn't that mean you're complaining. <laughs> well, if you want to complain at me, you can hit me up at Neural Handshake on Twitter and say your piece, but yeah. yeah, don't complain to me. I'll, <laughs> don't complain to me. I'll cuss you out. Yeah, leave Jordan alone. Like, don't don't complain to me. Like, I, don't do it. I mean, <laughs> what's we call it? But other than that, um, thank you guys for listening this week, and that's all. Bye. Peace out. <laughs>